This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Broadcasting from the quarantine ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to the landmark episode 575 yeah. of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast, Nerds. My name is Matt Baum, and instead of having a regular episode, we're going to have a bunch of different artists that worked on the Two-Headed Nerd do little vignettes of the show, and it's going to be fantastic. Right. It'd be like just like two-page things, you know, it's going to be great. And nothing is actually gonna happen. Oh yeah, I mean, I thought like some of them might, some of them might hint at something, at meaning something, but most of them right. really will not. But the final story will be you and me, and so one of us is gonna die. Oh yeah, yeah. Stay yeah. tuned. Stay tuned. I am the. Yeah, I'm the internet's Joe Patrick. This week we're wearing our best black suit and tie and playing pallbearer as we review eight superhero death issues from our cosmic long box. After that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're going to tell you all about what we're reading next week. And finally, we're going to bring you part two of Casey Explains It All, the Marvel Movie Chronological Rewatch Edition. But before we fire up the organ and thank our fallen superheroes for their service, let's share some solemn opinions for this week's Nerd News. Nerd News. Are you a scary ghost? Uh, it's it like Paul Bearer. I was trying to be like, oh, oh, Paul Bearer. <laughs> okay, I thought you might like cry. Like, <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> Tuesday evening, May 26th, DC debuted the first in what it is framing as a series of Instagram exclusive Batman webcomics by the series creative team James Tinian the Four and Gwillem March. <laughs> Gwillem. Gwillem. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah, it's Gwillem March and Willem Dafoe. They're brothers. Yeah, yeah, Gwillem and Willem. Uh, this is, of course, a prelude to the title's return on June 9th. Uh, here, I don't think we need to. Yeah, I don't think we need to read yeah, the quote. It's going to have punchline, of course, because everybody is hot for punchline for some reason. Uh, despite having thus far only appeared in two panels, as far as I know. Oh man, but we are fired up, baby. <laughs> The 10-panel story is specifically formatted for vertical cell phone orientation, and it can be found in the publisher's Instagram stories. If you are not, uh, if you're not hip to the gram like Matt and I are, that's when you go to a person's Instagram account, and then right. you, you like, they have like these um, like slideshows, right? Well, the story doesn't stick around; it's, it's right. temporary, right? But you can you can so do it vanishes. You can do so multiple. if you're going to do naked, if you're going to do nudie Instagram work, that's the way to do it. Right, right. Uh, And so they usually are up for like 24 hours and uh, you can upload like a multiple panel slideshow. Right. And And that's basically what they did. Yeah. There's a 10 panel. And when I say panel, I mean, it's literally panels in a comic book. If you look at it, it like starts off with punchline and she's like, I'm mad Joker or whatever. And then it switches to a panel of the Joker and the Joker's like, what's wrong, baby? You know, (laughs) they're literally just comic book panels and it's like 10 panels in a row where the joker basically says hey i need you to go kill harley quinn because i'm sick of her crap and we're trying to make punchline 
a thing. So why not put Punchline and Harley Quinn together in the same thing? I guess. I don't know. All right. Now, I don't care. I'm, I'm looking at these and they say that they are specifically intended for cell phone orientation. And I am here to tell you that They're they just, just look like they comic are panels. cropped <laughs> comic yeah. book panels. Um, so They're it, just manipulated comic book panels. That's it. So it is already gone from their main story, but you can save them. And so if you go to their panel, you'll see one labeled Batman 92. I mean, right. it's it's kind of a neat thing. I, I don't think it's... Look, if you want to do this to get people fired up for something, that's kind of fun. Sure. I'm not mad it's at an, it. No, it's a preview thing. It's free. All you got to do is join Instagram and, you know, let the government follow you and learn what you like so they can gently tune your feed to make you vote for Trump. And, you know, I mean, like, depending on how you feel about that, I guess. Well, <laughs> here's know? a pro tip for Instagram. I'm pretty sure that you can log on to any public account without having your own account. So you can go to actually you can just go to Instagram.com slash DC comics and probably read it without logging no, in. If you want to see the stories, it'll say continue as uh, like your Instagram you, you or log in as someone else. So you've got to log in to see stories. Uh, well, so, that's where they get you. I don't think they're working directly with Instagram. I think it's just a good place to do no, something I, like this. I'm, I'm joking about anything sinister, but right, right, right. Uh, no, but like, is this cool though? Or is this just a shtick? Yeah. I think they should do more of this. I, I, I think they should do more of this. It's not a bad idea. And actually like do it for real. Don't just, you know, piss in my hand and tell me it's raining. Make actual Instagram comics. It's a clever way to leak things preview stuff you know and be like oh my god what you know and then it's like i've got to go pick up this comic now this was not exactly a leak or anything really cool it's basically just a conversation between joker and punchline they call it a prelude it's the prelude to right. batman number 92 but we already knew this was coming you know we already knew punchline's gonna fight harley quinn and shit so whatever i think they could have done something a little more explosive here and maybe gotten some more press and maybe they will in the future. Maybe this is just the first experiment. It's not a bad yeah. idea. And I don't, if they do more great, if it gets people excited, great. And this isn't the first time I've seen, uh, comics experimenting with the Instagram format. Uh, Stuart Eminen and his wife, Catherine, yeah. uh, had been publishing a sci-fi comic called grass of Parnassus every Monday for a while. And it was just like, Several single panel, yeah. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Like each post was like six to ten panels of the larger story, right? And it was just it was just serialized through the entire length of the run, and it was great fun. Yeah, Instagram uh, is the new Tumblr, basically. Uh, here's the fun thing for collectors: now everybody owns the first appearance of Punchline, but you gotta send your phone into CGC. This isn't the first appearance of Punchline. I think it'll be the first. I'll, it's the first full appearance of Punchline. No way. She's already first fully appeared like three times. Nope. <laughs> nope. She's only appeared in the background. <laughs> Whatever. From the expanded Spider-Verse desk, which is not a very cool desk, but it is one that we have to have. Sony is never going to give up on their Spider-Verse, and they doubled down this week with two announcements. One. They are developing a female-led superhero team, potentially focused, get ready, on Madam Web. Fan favorite, Madam Web. Famous action <laughs> comic star, Madam Web. 
<laughs> Two, their second huge announcement. And this is the one that blew me away. They're developing a solo film for, wait for it, Jackpot, a minor Spider-Man villain ally who debuted during the brand new day era. So I remembered the Jackpot was a thing. Yes. But only in the sense that I had this vague memory of something stupid that I knew I wasn't going to care about. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mark Guggenheim, who wrote the character in the comic books, is, a, according to Deadline, is going to write the script as well. I mean, and good for Guggenheim trying to take his points, I guess, and make something out of them. <laughs> yeah. Marvel, Do we care? No. Marvel spent months... Trying to get readers to believe. Well, maybe not months because it was coming out like three times a month at that time. Yeah, so uh, they spent month. They spent month. <laughs> <laughs> Marvel spent month trying to convince readers that Jackpot was Mary Jane because right. she's a sexy redhead and everybody and then, knows that Jackpot's part of her catchphrase. And it's only, it's Mary Jane, right? It's gotta be Mary Jane. No, and then like they no. reveal, no, it's not Mary Jane. It's some other character. And then it was some other, other character. Yeah. So like, like, it's God. not even important who they were. They don't matter. Uh, so Jackpot is actually the name of two different heroes, in the Marvel comics. The first Jackpot was Sarah Aaron a scientist who was imbued with super strength in a lab accident happens all the time. And the second Alana Jacobson inherited the identity from Aaron and she gets her powers from taking drugs, specifically mutant growth hormone, yeah. which in the Marvel universe is basically an underground drug. It's bad. It's real yeah, bad. Really bad. Like not unlike meth. <laughs> so they've got a character named Jackpot. She wears like a vaguely like playing card esque casino style looking yeah, costume, kind of. It's like green and white, and she, she like does not belt. have luck powers. No. She just has super strength. Some super strength. Yeah, that's it. God damn it, that's it. I hate this jackpot. Will... I hate her. I hate jackpot a lot. This is going to join the string of Spidey adjacent films such as Nightwatch, Silk. Craven the Hunter and more, as well as the sequel to Venom, which is tentatively called Venom versus Red Venom. Not to mention <laughs> Morbius, which is scheduled for a March 19th, 2021 theatrical release. We are getting a bunch of Spider Man adjacent films, two of which feature characters that I even remotely care about. Now, this is not coming from a place of, well, I want dudes in my movies. This is not oh, no, a comic rant no, that I'm about to go no. on. I just think Jackpot is stupid. Jackpot is a stupid character. She's a bad character. And when you tell me that you are putting together a female-led team of Spidey-adjacent characters centering around Madam Web, well, that sure sounds like, hey, what if Birds of Prey was a bigger hit? Maybe we can do that now that we saw well, how it was done yeah, wrong mean, or poorly you know, or whatever. If, if it's going to be like Madam Web's Angels, <laughs> you know, or yeah, whatever. Like, what are we talking but, about th here? That's fine. Like, I like Madam Web as a character. I think she's a poor choice to, like, front yeah. a movie. And it's, it just sounds like if you're taking a character like Jackpot or you're taking a character like Madam Web, they're going to have to do something completely different with that character to make them interesting. Because they've already been pretty much meh in the comics or an afterthought at best. Like, I really like Silk as a character. I'll take a Silk movie. Sure. I mean, like, Silk is something you could do something with, but, but she also never 
blew the doors off the roof but <laughs> to she had, steal a turn she of phrase. Had more than one, she had more than one like successful ongoing run. I, I don't disagree. I'm just saying. But like <sighs> Nightwatch. Right. I'd rather and, and have like, a cardiac movie. Give Absolutely. me a cardiac movie. <laughs> cardiac was at least a doctor. You could do something interesting <laughs> with that. You know, and even Craven the Hunter, who is a character I very much like, I do not need. I specifically don't need a Craven the Hunter centric movie unless Who's he gonna hunt if Spider-Man's not in it? He is fighting Spider-Man. Right, right. That is what makes Craven interesting. That is also what makes Venom interesting. And I'm not going back on that rant, but without <laughs> Spider-Man, I don't care about any of this jackpot i already didn't care about and even with spider-man i still don't care <laughs> I, the one more day era pardon me the brand new day era it had some good ideas it had some good ideas it had a lot yeah, there was of some fun stuff it had a lot of bad ideas yes like they, they threw a bunch of shit against the wall basically very little of it stuck like you remember that character his name was freak and he was basically like he's got superpowers because he took all the drugs, every drug, all I at don't once. That. Yeah. Know. He was one of the earliest creations of Brand New Day. Like, Good when they God. tell me that they're making a jackpot movie, they might as well tell me they're making a freak movie. I don't care. I don't want it. I don't care. All right. Somehow we've dug the Snyder Cut desk out of the mothballs. It's ready. No, it's the Snyder Bros desk. The, Snyder, the Snyder Bros, Bros desk. desk. Oh, we've renamed yeah. it. <laughs> the internet is abuzz with talk of the new HBO Max streaming service that launches today, May 27th. Uh, unless you have a Amazon Fire Stick or a Roku TV, you're going to have to wait. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know that. It's on Apple wow. devices. It's on, uh, like, you can get it on your Xbox and your PS4. But, like, they specifically, they have not finalized any deals with Roku yet. So oh, you can't man. watch it on your Roku. Amongst other Warner properties, HBO Max hosts all the DCCU stuff and everything else you find on the DC Universe app, like uh, the old cartoons. They've yeah. also got a bunch of Adult Swim stuff, like every episode of Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Yeah. The entire series of Friends, it's got a shitload of content. But the biggest news for HBO Max, obviously, is the planned release of the fabled Snyder Cut of 2017's Justice League. I, you know what? At this point, I want it. Let's do it. I definitely do. I, I've been completely vocal against it, and we'll and we'll oh, talk I'm more about it. I'm mad about it, here. but I want it. <laughs> yeah, let's let's keep rolling. Yeah, here. we'll get through the story, and then we'll air our grievances. <laughs> Snyder broke the news during a Q and A with fans following a live streamed commentary on his film Man of Steel. Which the, who's wanted to watch that? There are so many. There are Snyder Bros out there, man. The, the Snyder Cut consists of his edit of the film based on the version he was creating before exiting the production. Now, uh, I should say, we should say, theoretically, theoretically the Snyder listen, Cut Listen, we're going to just let me get through it. We'll get there. <laughs> okay. Uh, there were some jokes about, about Superman's mustache. Snyder said, right. I'd love to see a version of Superman without the mustache. Uh, so here's a quote. Like I tell you, I have it. So we just have to find a way to show it someday. I can't show the movie right now. There's still work to do, but there is this. Uh, and then he showed the announcement, HBO Max 2021. Right. Of course, he was the original director of the movie before exiting the production partway uh, due to the death of his daughter. Uh, it was finished by Avengers director Joss Whedon, a process that included extensive reshoots that changed numerous scenes and even several characters. 
here is the thing. This is the headline. Here's where it gets good. <laughs> it sounds like the Snyder Cut does not and never has existed. Nope. It's not a thing. According to Warner Media chairman and HBO Max head Bob Greedblatt, actually creating a finished Snyder Cut will take months of work, extensive special effects shots, and many, many millions of dollars, like $30 million at a minimum. Let's just unpack that for a second. Yeah, okay. So you have a film yeah. that did not make the box office money they wanted it to make. A film that already spent way more money than it needed to. It cost $300 million to make. Yeah. It made just over 500 I think, and they wanted it to make a billion. Sure. So now we're going to throw more money at it. And Bob went on to say... Probably closer to 60 or 70 million when you start taking into account things like, well, we're going to talk to the unions. We may have to bring back some of the actors to do certain things or say certain things. So who knows? It could go another hundred million. Yeah. There is no way they recoup that money on HBO Max subscriptions. There just isn't. They're gonna, there isn't. They're not going to get $60 million worth of new subscribers. No, absolutely not. That would have already not had, that would not have already had it. And we are going to throw more money at a bad film. And I'm not going to listen to this Joss Whedon ruined it bullshit because that is not the case. You can plainly see the stuff that Joss Whedon did because the movie was so dark and so dour that they tried to violently inject some humor into it that had no place in the film whatsoever. With that said, I'm not going to say it ruined it. The movie already sucked. So why do I want to see the dark dour, awful, misrepresented, you know, characterizations cut of this film. Sell me on it, Joe. Why do I want to see this? Yeah, um, morborbid curiosity. <laughs> literally, at this point, <laughs> yes. No, I want to sit gonna, down and want to watch it and go, so okay, are we all happy? We all like, agree this sucks? Like, I mean, I, it just it I blows don't, my mind. I don't want to bag on Zack Snyder. I know that he had a tough time. His daughter committed suicide. Like, he, he went through a, a terrible personal crisis uh, during the making of this movie. But I hated the last two movies, too. <laughs> yes. And again, I'm not bagging on Zack Snyder. I like Zack Snyder. He makes some good movies. I think he is so completely out of his depth. I'm not going to go back into the whole rant, but he is out of his depth when it comes to DC superhero movies. I'm going to go they so far. They should not be that dark. They just shouldn't. Period. I'm going to go so far as to say that he sounds like he might be kind of a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, based I'm on sure interviews and stuff. Um, but but the, the point being is, I just I cannot fathom. The meeting that they had where they gave this the green light and said, yeah, let's do it. it. It just blows my mind. Not only that, now we have David Ayer saying that he wants a director's cut of Suicide Squad. Another movie that wasn't any good. Yeah, there was not a part of Suicide Squad where I went, oh, this looks like it's actually going to an interesting place. Oh, wait a minute. They changed that violently. I wonder if somebody interrupted the director's artistic view of this film. No. Now, it I, was just bad. Hold on. Now, David Ayer did also say that, like, the studio really took the scissors to his version of the movie. And that's fine. And there was no part of the movie that I felt good about. But, <laughs> so. I will, but I will at least believe that he had a vision for the movie sure. that we did not see and that sure. there was probably a completed version of it. 
so according to Google, it was $300 million to make, but that does not count the marketing budget. Nope. Uh, and so it could have cost upwards of 500, 450, 500. Regardless, this and was supposed made to make 650 worldwide. Right. This was supposed to make a billion dollars. This is supposed to be Marvel successful. So, it, I mean, in a technical sense, it did make money. It just, sure. It didn't make enough money to justify the effort. <laughs> no, there is a vocal group of people that want more of this and liked this direction. I don't understand it. I don't understand I, it. I don't like it. I'm not saying that it's like bad that someone is going to make art a certain way, but as a fan no. of Superman and Batman and the Justice League and all these characters, I do not need any more of this dark, dour bullshit and they have already proved they have a hit with wonder woman they have a hit with aquaman which i also didn't like but was lighter hearted i liked it and but that's all right and moved in a different direction yeah. and now you're going to go back shazam. to this yeah shazam another one G critical success made money and now we're going to go back to this well of failure really i don't get it yeah no i don't understand and you know we've talked about this movie a ton on the show and i'm sure it must yeah. get tiresome but this is huge news to me like the idea that hbo it's bonkers or i guess it's, i mean it well okay it's called hbo max but really it's the it's the warner brothers right streaming platform warner brothers owns so the HBO. fact that the that warner brothers would throw more money at a movie that's already come out than it takes to make i don't know Five other movies. <laughs> right. I also win the nerd bet where uh, you said I was going to come back to theater. So sorry, small screen. I win that one. Uh, don't give me that shit. We don't know that. It might come to, <laughs> it might come to theaters. I've also seen some people, I think I saw a, like a, a poll quote or something where Sanders like, yeah, my cut of justice league could end up being four hours long. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh God. And so you this know, guy Greenblatt I is like, we don't know if it's going to be a movie. We don't know if it's going to be like a four-part miniseries. We don't I hope know. They throw, I hope they throw $100 million at this, another $100 million, and I hope it's a piece of shit. I, I really do. I just, because there isn't a reality where it turns out to be great. There just isn't. Maybe we're wrong, Matt. No, I, I highly doubt that. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while lobbying for the Eric Stoltz Back to the Future we were supposed to see. So hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section or any of our social media outlets and talk to us about these stories, anything you think we missed, and just how bad Michael J. Fox screwed up Back to the Future. Am I right? You Who's ever, with me? You ever seen that, Who's Eric? Who's with me? You ever seen that Eric Stoltz footage? Yeah, it's terrible. It's pretty wild. <laughs> there is a reason why the directors shot for six weeks and then went, Eric, you're fired. Yeah, Robert, <laughs> Robert Zemeckis ain't no dummy. Yeah. It's review time in the ziggurat, and this week, to celebrate our fallen real-life heroes for Memorial Day, we didn't even plan that, did we? No. We're reviewing eight issues that featured superheroes dying in action. Before we get into it, Joey, I sure would like to wet my whistle with a little something, something. So let's hand it over to the THN mixologist. He hates that term. We'll just call him the bartender. Mr. Justin Fletcher, who has a fitting funeral drink for this week. Justin? All right, nerds. So this week, I guess we're talking about the deaths of 
heroes. And I think at this point, if you don't know, or you guys uh, haven't put you on to the fact that when it comes to my nerdiness, it all revolves around movies and essentially video games because I didn't have anybody at a young age like probably most of you who turned me on to comic books and gave me my first at age three and then it was like a love affair for the rest of my life and I've now got collections that fill up my garage. I didn't have that luxury so video games and movies were kind of my thing and the, the inspiration with this kind of started from a game which then made me want to go read a comic. So the comic is a death in the family. And then, most of you know that's gonna be the death of Jason Todd, the uh, super famous scene of, you know, Batman carrying his completely fucked up body away from the explosion. The video game that actually got me to go back and look at this comic was my uh, first playthrough of Arkham Knight. Um, if you haven't played it, well, there's spoiler alerts ahead because I'm getting ready to tell you that the cool thing about Arkham Knight that I really enjoyed and that Matt really, really hated was the fact that they augmented the story to say that Jason Todd became the Arkham Knight to get revenge on Batman. Really, really cool. That's what got me into, into the, this particular comic. And plus, after going back and looking at the comic, I think the art is just great. But moving on. So if we have a death in the family is the name of the comic book, the drink is actually going to be called Death in the Afternoon. A really, really cool, cool story is that this drink was supposedly invented by Ernest, Ernest Hemingway. He used two ingredients for this. If you look it up online, it literally just says a jigger of absinthe and X amount of champagne. So basically all you're going to do is you're going to take an ounce and a half to two ounces of absinthe which is an anise-flavored, high-proof spirit. Um, if you don't like black licorice, it's probably not going to be your jam, but holy shit, is it really good. If you like black licorice, you're going to love it. Pour that into a coupe, then you're just going to top with cold bubbles. Hemingway literally says, you keep adding champagne until there is a, a perfect opalescent milkiness to the drink. And when you add bubbles to absinthe, you will get kind of this milky kind of clouded look inside the glass. It, then he said it, uh, death in the afternoon revolves around sitting down and drinking three to five of those in a row in the middle of the afternoon. So there you go. A death in the afternoon. Ounce and a half, two ounces of absinthe. Top with bubbles to your liking. Maybe a little uh, lemon expression might actually really be good there. And enjoy, nerds. Ciao. Thank you, Justin. That sounds delicious and classy. Oh, and by the way, speaking of Jason Todd, I'm going to start us off with Batman number 427 from DC 1988. Jason Todd certainly isn't anyone's favorite Robin and Bat fans proved it back in 1988 when DC set up a 1-900 number that fans could call to decide the fate of of Robin 2. There was 36 hours of voting and the Kill Jasons won by a 72 vote margin. It was pretty close. 5,343 votes to 5,271. There's also conspiracy theory yeah, they that a dude, one person, set up a dialer that would dial the number every 90 seconds and vote kill him. <laughs> so We don't know if that's true or not. Jim Aparo is on pencils and while his Batman has a very classic look, his art is still super modern for the time. There's very clean lines, really good action. Jim Starlin writes this issue, and I forgot how different this Batman acted and spoke at the time. Like, 
This is not the, this is not the grimmed up no, version we would end up with. This is a very much like a Batman family style Batman. Totally. And like not to mention the fact that like this Batman, there's a scene where he's fighting Lady Shiva and he's like uh, whatever, Lady Shiva. Oh man, I should start paying attention. She's pretty good at this. <laughs> you know, like that is not the Batman that I know. This is still a very kind of fallible Batman. This is a Batman that very much cares about Jason Todd and is trying to help him. And it's just not a Batman we see very often anymore. Batman and Robin in the book have tracked Lady Shiva to Beirut, where the Joker is working on an arms deal with terrorists. Now, this was in the late 80s. Like he does. When Beirut was still a hotbed for crisis in the Middle East and very much in the newspapers a lot. When they find Shiva, she hasn't been captive at all. Batman ends up fighting her, eventually wins, and with the help of sodium pentothal, she admits that Jason ain't her kid. So they head to Ethiopia to meet the final mom candidate, Dr. Haywood. And she's not really into being a mom at all. In fact, she sells Jason out to the Joker, who then, thanks to the vote we had, beats Jason to near death with a crowbar. Joker then double crosses mom and leaves her and near dead Jason in a shack with a bomb. Boom. Jason is killed. (laughs) I cannot think of a hero that died in a less ceremonious way. Honestly, the fans hated him. His mom hated him. And then the Joker beats him with a crowbar and blows him up. Great looking issue though. And I got to say, Starlin's script is very vintage Batman. I'm giving it a buy it. Because this is a lot of fun, and it's it's from an age of Batman that was odd. Because while Batman was still very classic and family oriented, we do have a kid being beaten to death with a crowbar in this book. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I don't think I, I don't think it's family oriented in the sense that like it's family friendly. It's like no, no he's got sidekicks and stuff. No, but it's like it's still the classic. Sure, right. It's sort Batman of Silver and Robin. Age, right? Yeah, Batman. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I love. First of all, I love Jim Jim Starlin's run on Batman. It was great. I had a uh, a three pack that I bought somewhere. Uh, you know how they used to like put three comics in a plastic bag and you could buy them right. at a convenience store or whatever. And the and the third one was a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, in this case, they were all Batman comics. Oh, okay. Because usually it would be like Batman, Care Bears, Batman. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, oh, damn it. (laughs) Uh, And two of them from the pack were Jim Starlin era Batman comics. And one of them is the one where it is very heavily implied that Jason lets a diplomat's drug dealing son fall to his death because he was beating his girlfriend. (laughs) And like he was so frustrated, he was frustrated because like they can't touch him. He's a diplomat, right? He's got diplomatic immunity. You can't do anything about it. It sucks. I'm sorry. This is not the Batman that would be like, fuck that, <laughs> fuck the law. Well, Jason was also a very flawed character, and and I think that may have been one of the reasons that he was kind of unpopular at the time. Well, this was the late '80s for Batman, where like they were sort of forcing the character into more of a modern, serious, real Batman, yeah. you know, dealing with real yeah, life yeah. stuff. And they, it was weird. So like this times. is a, what year was this? 1988. Oh, so this is post-crisis. So yeah, this was definitely yeah. post-Dark Knight. It is, a, it is a darker Batman than 
you may have uh, read, you know, five years earlier. But, oh, no doubt. You know, this is, uh, there's a rumor. I don't know if it's true. The reason Jason became such a little snot is become is because Jim Starlin hated Robin. He hated well, they, the idea of Robin. It sounds like they all kind of did. Like Denny O'Neill didn't like the fact that we have another Robin now and stuff. They sort of, it, and again, we don't know for certain, but after Dick left, they were like, now is our chance to just tell Batman stories. We can just tell Batman and edit higher up was like, no, Batman and Robin. But if, Batman you, look Robin. At, if you look at the <laughs> early Jason Todd stories, he's not like this. No, like he's not, at not all. a little punk bastard. No. And so, so I love the idea that Jim Starlin hated ba- hated Robin so bad that he just made Jason completely unlikable. <laughs> He's like, fuck it. All right. I'm going to punish the fans. So unlikable that the fans voted to kill him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love this era. And for me, it just does not get much better uh, than Jim Aparo drawing Batman. Oh, man. He's so good. This gets he, a- He's like the last of the great classic Batman artist. I mean, this really. was, this I mean, was like, right before we started getting like Norm Brayfogle. So right. this was like, what a, what an era for Batman. I'm giving this a huge buy it. This is a fun issue. It is kind of a goofy throwback where it's like, yeah, here's the Joker in white face. <laughs> yeah. but like his, his features are so distorted that nobody well, is like, fooled. He's, he's wearing makeup to look like a normal person, but everyone that sees him instantly goes, Oh, Joker. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, yeah. like, <laughs> like instantly. Like yeah. I, I think in, um, I think if you look at part one, he's actually wearing like the turban with the little shroud on the back to protect it. Like he's dressed, he's dressing the part. It's like, you're not kidding anybody, Joker. Uh, but yeah, this is great fun. Great fun. Joe Patrick, your turn. All right. My first review is Spectacular Spider-Man number 107 from Marvel Comics 1985. Gene DeWolf is a character that modern readers might not really know about, but she was considered an important ally and confidant of Spider-Man's from the mid-70s through the mid-80s. I looked it up, and that's despite making just about a couple dozen appearances over the course of 10 years. She was a no-nonsense detective, a female take on the hard-boiled TV and movie cops of the era. Oh, yeah. And her death was a huge moment in Spidey's history. This issue begins with Jean replaying her life in the moments before her death after being brutally gunned down by the Sin Eater, uh, who was sort of like this religious fanatic that heard the voice of God through his shotgun or some shit. I, I love the Sin Eater. I love the so Sin Eater much. too. I like I love this I love the storyline so much that I ended up reading the whole thing this weekend. It's great. Uh, what follows is a surprisingly thoughtful story by writer Peter David and Deathlock co-creator, the great Rich Buckler. Yeah. Uh, this is like way off book for Peter David. It, it's hard not to judge this issue as part of the rest of the storyline, but it all ends up being this tale about race relations and police brutality and religious fanaticism, rage and revenge. It's also responsible. Fun fact. Uh, throwing this back to Contest of Champions where when we were surprised about the number of characters that had never met. The death of Gene DeWolf is responsible for solidifying the bond of friendship between Spider-Man and Daredevil. Yeah. 
It's in this storyline that Spider-Man and Daredevil learn each other's secret identities. I was totally shocked. I, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I had never read this before. Oh, yeah. it's ah. But on its own, Spectacular Spider-Man 107 is a compelling hook that sucks the reader into a complex and rewarding mystery. It gets a huge bite for me. The death of Gene DeWolf is one of my all-time favorite Spidey stories. Like, nothing like this was going on in Amazing Spider-Man at the time, right? No, Amazing Spider-Man was very much, well... Amazing Spider-Man had like the the long simmering hobgoblin mystery and stuff mm-hmm. going on, but like this sort of like intense, like violent and street level, right? Like almost torn from the like the headlines type stuff. Yeah, yeah. This book was amazing. Rich Buckler is incredible. Rich Buckler He's- has probably drawn every major Marvel and DC character. <laughs> His art is incredible in this, and I couldn't believe it. Like, I I had a few issues with Spectacular Spider-Man, but, like, in 1985, I was pretty much only reading X-Men. I picked up Spectacular Spider-Man because I liked the black costume. I never got this far into the series when it was, like, when it was running. I think Web of Spider-Man was number yeah. one, was really the one where I was like, fuck yeah. And I read all of Web of Spider-Man and loved it. This was so good that I want to go back and read these this Peter David run because oh yeah it was amazing oh there's a sequel there's a sequel story some years later uh I started I was I was a pretty fairly regular reader of Spectacular Spider Man but later on when Sal Buscema became the main artist and then he stayed on it until the book got canceled like twenty years later um Peter David comes back for a sequel uh where Spider-Man meets the Sin Eater again, and it is great. The other thing that really hit me in this was the Peter Parker that we see here is like an angry, vengeful Peter Parker because of what happened. He's been pushed too far. Yeah. And that was not like something that I really remembered from any of this time in Spider-Man, you know, like the 80s or 90s. It just took me, it took me aback. I loved it. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Speaking of books that took us aback. We're going to jump to the far future of Marvel 2001. This is Uncanny X-Men, number 390. Your creative team was Scott Lobdell and a very young Salvador LaRocca on pencils. I remember reading these comics in the early 2000s and marveling at Salvador LaRocca's art and just thinking, this guy is incredible. He's like the second coming of Jim Lee. I love it. And looking at it again later, like, is it that good? <laughs> it's, it's good. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> uh, so my, I remember it being way better than it was. That's my, all I'm saying. My first encounter with Salvador LaRocca was when he wrote a brief or he drew a brief run on um, Ghost Rider, wasn't it? Oh, yes. He did do Ghost Rider yeah. uh, in the in the late 90s. But then he drew. um he drew Fantastic Four after they came back from Heroes Reborn for a while. Yeah. When it was yeah. written by Chris Claremont. <coughs> I picked up those Ghostwriter issues because of the cover and was blown away. It's like this fucking guy. Oh I think my by God. the I think by the time he gets to exterminate X-Men, he's much more in line with what we remember him. I suppose that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that being extreme X-Men. It was just spelled very poorly. Not a lot goes down in this issue other than the Beast talking at length about how smart he is because he and Moira came up with a cure for the legacy virus. By the way, 
Scott Lobdell writes the most annoying Hank that you could possibly imagine. <laughs> I'm just going to, there's a little bit of dialogue here that like when I went back and read this, I was like, I can't believe that I enjoyed this fucking comic when I was a kid. <laughs> so everyone is doing their X-Men thing and beast makes this noise. He's like, whammo, whatever. And everyone's like, Oh my God. And they run to beast lab and there he is. And he jumps on Wolverine and he says, congratulations, you of the mutated mutton chops, you're the first person on the planet to penetrate a peak at the most perfect of panaceas. After countless uncountable aimless attempts at eradicating the heretofore uneradicatable. Stop. Just stop. Fuck. Stop. You. Stop it. Fuck you, Scott Lobdell. <laughs> like, and, not uh, only and, look, and look, before you give yourself too much credit. This book Ugh. came out when we were in our 20s, not when we I were know. kids. <laughs> but like, oh my God, P.T. Barnum didn't talk like this. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. This is followed up by the Beast talking even more until he talked himself into the fact that someone will have to die to cure the legacy virus. Whoops. Like he didn't get there. They found a cure and he's telling everybody that and he can't stop talking about it. And then as he gets there, he's like, and you know what? And come to think of it, we got to. Mm, oh, you know what? Shit. So can we stop? Can we, can we pause real quick and talk about the science behind this? I, I know we're talking oh, about God. comic books. The science. I know we're I know we're talking about comic books, and neither one of us are scientists. The legacy virus, they say in this comic, started to spread. Right. After the first mutant that got infected triggered his mutant powers. Yes. Okay, fine. Why? <laughs> well, Future. Why Strive. would that? He did oh, that. No, no, no. Why would that also apply to the cure? Isn't the cure created independently? Like it's its this own is, thing. This is how Strife designed it. There was only one way to cure it, and this is how Strife designed it. Okay. Knowing well, that that's one dumb. person will have to die. Now, here's where it gets worse. Let me finish my review, and then we'll talk about this. Okay. Uh, I don't want to spoil this. Give it to <laughs> any immortal character. Okay. <laughs> From there, from here, Wolvie, Gambit, Beast, and Professor X in his hover chair yeah. play a really weird homoerotic game of two-on-two basketball. Professor X like, got game. Gambit is super shirtless, and they're like climbing all over each other and grabbing each he other. He got busy just like Godzilla. Then Colossus, upset by the death of his sister Magic, knocks out Dr. Celia Reyes with some kind of knockout spray, I guess, and plunges the syringe full of legacy virus cure, <laughs> which is already in a syringe for some reason, into his heart, cures the virus, and dies. For a major death issue... Yeah. This one is a complete slog. The main action comes from the basketball scenes and Pete's death, while selfless and probably very much in character for Pete, sure seemed pointless and fucking stupid. Wolverine is in the room when Beast explains this, right? And you sure. want me to believe <laughs> yeah, yeah. that Wolverine is going to be like, nah, let's go out and play some basketball and not immediately grab that shot and go kill Sabretooth. I got and an clear, idea. And, I and got cure an the idea. legacy virus. Call Jamie Madrox. <laughs> I'm just saying, this is your chance to murder Sabretooth and cure the legacy virus. I mean, yeah, is, you don't even need to murder not anybody. Think about it. You know, inject like, it, like, really. Inject it into one of Jamie's dupes. <laughs> I mean, I, 
I was going to give this a skim it no. because it's like an X issue from an, uh, a, I love that Lobdell run. It was a lot of fun. There was a lot of problems with it. Yes. Marrow no. and Maggot were two major problems with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving this a leave it. I, it just, this issue sucked and revisiting it was so fucking boring and dumb and just pointed out how badly they wanted to do something dramatic. So they decide we're going to kill Colossus this way. Give me a goddamn break. What a waste. All right. All right. So the timeline of X-Men creators is a little fuzzy, but I think that Scott, Scott Lobdell came back to do this issue. He came back to do the last couple of issues well, he's on the issue before this, too. Right, right. I'm saying he, like, his main run was in the 90s. Right. He, he picked up after, uh, he picked up after Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Yeah. And his main run is through the, through the 90s. Um, I think that this issue takes place after, uh, they did, it was, it was called, um, uh, I forget what it was called, but they made dreams, a big stink. There was Dreams End. Dreams End, Chris yes. Claremont. But they, one they, of five. They did. They made a big stink about Chris Claremont coming back to the book, and I think this yeah. is after Chris Claremont came back to the book. Well, part wait. one of five was three eighty nine. Wait, wait, wait. Was three eighty eight? Three eighty nine because is it crossed not, over. It crossed over to all the oh, other books. other X books. Okay, because I'm just saying the next one is like a flashback of Charles Xavier. Like, oh no, this is Chris Claremont as well. But it's the Good Shepherd, and this is the storyline, and it's talking all about Charles Xavier. Yeah, yeah. And it has nothing to do with Dreams End. So, and then we get this weird Scott Lobdell issue where they kill right, Colossus. Right, right. So I think that they <laughs> trotted out Scott Lobdell. They were like, you used to write X-Men. Come do this thing nobody else wants to do. And then there's this issue, and then there's one more issue that focuses on Cyclops where he's real mad about stuff. Yeah. And then after that, it's... uh. Grant Morrison and Joe Casey take over the X books. <laughs> yep. So this is like the last two traditional X-Men stories before they throw it all out the window. <laughs> Although the issue with Scott and his dad, this guy Abdel wrote is great. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's really good. Is it though? Is it? <laughs> yeah, it really it right. is. I read it. It's really um, good. <laughs> so yeah, this comic book is bad. It's uh, bad. My favorite part about it is Colossus realizing that he can't knock out Dr. Reyes because she's got an involuntary force field. So he's got a gasser. <laughs> yeah. With whatever knockout gases right there. He just happens know, to have some. Or he could have just been like, hey, what's that over there? <laughs> you know, and then right, she's yeah. like, Claws of Snow. And he's like, too or, late. <laughs> or, you know, held her at bay with one of his meat giant meat hands. Right. He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this comic book is terrible. And uh, I remember being really like, I was glad that the legacy virus got cured. I felt it was well, time. It, yeah. It got to a point where it had been around for a long time yeah. and it was just like this fallback thing. Like, right. You're right. Some it, people like, are getting sick and dying, but like nobody major is getting legacy virus and dying. Right. You know, <laughs> like, it was time. It was time to go. This was the laziest cure that they could possibly have come up with. Yeah. And then really, it was just like, and it's not just it, like, honestly, like there was a meeting and they were like, look, Grant Morrison's taken over. We need to fucking tie this up. How do we do it? I don't know. Uh, let's kill Colossus. Yeah. Wait, what do you mean? Kill Colossus. So no, do you hear me out? He stabs himself with the cure and dies selflessly. Ooh, I like that. So and do Morrison remember, doesn't like Colossus. So he doesn't want to use it. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So do you remember that run? Uh, it was, um, it was like X-Men versus the Inhumans or something like that. Where, so like, it was after Jonathan Hickman's Infinity, uh, Attilan got blown up, or Adelan, however you say it, 
and the Terrigen mists were released into the atmosphere of Earth. Yeah. And they're deadly to mutants. Oh, no. Yeah. It was a cloud that uh, was chasing everybody. And so, like, it's a, it's a cloud of mist that's definitely dangerous, and it's definitely sure. moving around based on weather right. patterns and whatnot. There are so many mutants on Earth that are not in imminent danger from this cloud. Oh, it didn't fuck with the X-Men at all. And yet, <laughs> Colossus <laughs> sticks himself in the needle with a needle, and everybody is instantly better. <laughs> there was well, no, I, like, there was you no, You are like, not taking into period. account the future genius of Strife, okay? That is your problem. Right. So the virus is intelligent and it knew that it was it met its match and it just no. shut off. Strife is intelligent and made the virus to shut off by killing one person for no good reason at all. <laughs> no, Other thanks. than like they will have to make the choice to end a life. Great. Wolverine can make that choice easy. There's a list of guys that he could murder and cure. You know, everybody with. He could have fucking stabbed it in Scott Lobdell's heart, you know, and like, hey, we'd all feel better. Omega you know? Red, he's got mutant death powers already. Perfect. Kill Omega Red. That guy's bad news. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a leave it. It sucks. Back at you, Joe Patrick. All right. Buckle up, be boys and girls. The review of the first of two comic books plucked directly from major DC events that on their own almost make no sense whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair to say. <laughs> uh, my next review is of Crisis on Infinite Earths, number seven from DC Comics, 1985. Crisis, number seven, is one comic book-ass comic. <laughs> oh, my God. It's stuck smack dab in the middle of a year-long event. Uh, it's a double-sized issue, and somehow it still manages to work in a recap of the events of the event so far, as well as the origins of Pariah, Harbinger, the Monitor, the Anti-Monitor, the Guardians of the Universe, <laughs> the entire history of the DC multiverse, the Green Lantern Corps, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, it's safe to say they don't make them like this anymore. No, they do not. <laughs> uh, to say that it is a lot would be an understatement. But to me, at least, it never once felt boring or bogged down. Yes, yes, it's written in a style that fell out of fashion quite some time ago. Oh, my God. But thinking back to third grade Joe Patrick on that school bus, I just traded in that copy of ElfQuest. It's historical. It's on the record. We've all heard the story. This is one of the formative issues of my comics reading life. The work by George Perez, Jerry Ordway. I should say Marv Wolfman wrote the book. Kudos to Marv right. Wolfman. The work by George Perez, Jerry Ordway, and Dick Giordano is among some of the greatest superhero artwork I have ever seen. There are two-page spreads in this book that are breathtaking. Uh, specifically, the scene where Alexander Luthor opens the portal to the antimatter universe, and it's got these weird, like, fifth ink magenta colors yeah it, like it's gorgeous even the panels of talking heads and exposition and there are many are fascinating to pour over looking for details now if he wasn't up there already his year drawing crisis cemented george perez's reputation as one of the finest superhero artists of all time it's it's just a fact he's one of the greats of course i do have to mention this issue's biggest development and of course the theme of the show 
is the death of the pre-crisis Supergirl as she sacrificed herself to save not only the life of her cousin Superman, but five entire universes as well. That climactic- and her, Don't forget her headband. She sacrificed that too. And Dr. It Light. never came back. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that climactic scene hit me just as hard today as it did when I was seven years old. It's, it's heartbreaking. Like she's just wailing on the anti-monitor and she turns away for a second to make sure that Superman is safe and that's all he needs. And it's awful. It's what you get, Supergirl. Uh, yeah, that is what you get. Longtime listeners of the show will know that I am biased, but Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven remains one of my most, if not the most, favorite single issues of all time. It still holds up to me. I'm giving it a huge buy it. And, and I know what you're going to say. It is in the middle of the event, but it I'm, recaps I'm, I'm not everything. Yeah, look, I'm not. This is fundamentally review proof because it's like one of those things where it's from a time where like you said storytelling was different it's the middle of this <laughs> event unlike any event ever written in comics and reading it just picking up number seven and reading it like i hurt my brain <laughs> while i did it <laughs> the death of supergirl is amazing it, it really is and i think at the end of this I'm going to, I'm going to have you and I recap everything and say, what do you think the best death we read was? But holy shit, it is a fantastic way for a hero to go. Yeah. The, the book itself, I just can't even go into because it is nuts. This is the fact that a comic book like this was published in 1985 blows my mind. Like it, it absolutely blows my mind that people were reading comics at this level because it is yeah. crazy. It is fucking I mean, it is a hardcore, crazy. it is a hardcore <laughs> DC event. Like I stand by it. If people come to me and they're like, I want to get into DC comics. I'm like, look, <clears throat> it's going to take a little bit of, uh, patience. <laughs> Wherewithal. <laughs> but crisis on infinite earths is a great introduction to a lot of characters. I, I look, I didn't read this book until I was much older. And yeah. I think it was our friend Big Mike that bought me the big, sexy Crisis on Earth omnibus edition thing for Christmas. The absolute edition, yeah. Yes. And said, here you go. And I promised to go home and read it. And I read it. It was just like, reading it that way. And it's great. It is a feat. George Perez, what these artists did to put this story on paper is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And it's a great death for Supergirl. I'm giving it a huge buy it. But it's, oh my God, if you just I mean, pick up one it's, issue. It's a lot. And you, if you haven't revisited this and you just pick up one issue in the middle of it and you knew nothing else, you would be like, okay, this is what comic books are about. No, I don't ever want to read a comic book again. <laughs> See, I, di I disagree. <laughs> now, I, I think if you had picked up, I think if you had first picked up like issue six or issue five, You'd be like, oh, what? What's happening? What's going on? I but still I, was like, even with all the recaps, like, I can't believe we're recapping everything in issue seven. <laughs> but I, I think that I think that they must have known that people would be checking out this issue based on the rumors of what was going to happen. They had to have. Yeah, they absolutely had to have, because it makes no sense why we get a full recap right. in issue seven. Like, it's a double-sized issue in the middle of the run. Why? Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, uh, one quick anecdote that I love very much. 
is that uh, if you own the Absolute Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, slipcase edition, it comes with a companion book. Yeah. That's full of like behind the scenes notes. And here's a list of all the tie ins. The tie ins are shit. Do not bother. <laughs> well, so, like, if you hear a DC fan reference a uh, uh, Red Skies tie in, uh, in, in, Meaning that, like, this is a tie-in issue that's got the logo of the event slapped on it, but literally nothing happens. Right. That's in reference to Crisis, where a tie-in meant, oh, man, the weather sure is weird. Anyway, what's Baron <laughs> Blood up to? Uh, so in this in this book, uh, Marv The sky Wolfman, is red. What a perfect day to ask you to marry me. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. <laughs> what? Uh, that's my tie-in? <laughs> Uh, in the in the book, there's uh, uh, some history from Marv Wolfman, and there's a photocopy uh, of or a scan of a note that he sent to then president and publisher. I don't know if she was the president or the publisher, uh, Jeanette Kahn. She was the head cheese at DC for many years, uh, primarily in the 80s. Uh, and it's like a high school. Do you like me? Note <laughs> circle. Yes, no, or maybe. And he writes on it. Can I kill Supergirl? Yes, no. And she circles yes and sends it back to him. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's so great. <laughs> I'm, right. the, I am glad the headband didn't come back. The headband was I back. mean, it was, it was 80s cheese, baby. All right, Matt, back to you. We're going to jump even further into the future. 2007, which doesn't sound like it was that long ago. But it was a long fucking time ago. 13, 13 years ago. <laughs> yeah, 13 damn years. This is Captain America number 25 from Marvel. Back in 2005, Ed Brubaker began a cap run that to this day is my favorite. And I would argue the best cap run ever written. It's just an amazing run on comics. And Steve Epting is there for the majority of it. His pencils are incredible. And they brought almost this documentarianism like realism to the story like i can't stress how great steve epting and ed brubaker together were take yourself back to 2007 it's wednesday matt bomb walks into work at krypton comics and aura mcwilliams meets him at the door and says don't do anything take this comic and go read it hands me captain america number 25 this was written at a time where we didn't have internet spoilers like we do today. No one knew yes, this was going to happen. That's not correct. <laughs> this is the first instance where, this is the first instance that I remember that the television news spoiled the events of the, of the issue. But they did that the day. Book, before the stores opened. They did it was it, that day though. They it was did the morning it, I think, news. I think they did it either Tuesday or Wednesday morning. It was morning news because Aura, and you know what? And I remember Aura said, have you seen the news? And I said, no. And he said, go read this comic now. <laughs> because I hadn't, I didn't know anything. All right. The Marvel Civil War had just ended after Cap fought Tony in New York. And then he surrendered to end the conflict over the Superhero Registration Act. Cap is going to be arraigned in New York and Sharon Carter and the Falcon spend most of this issue having flashbacks about their past with Cap. No one can believe he's actually going to jail. Bucky is there wearing his leather jacket. He doesn't even have the domino mask at yet. Like Bucky is just newly back and working with Nick Fury at this point. Right. 
Dr. Faustus Arnim Zola and the Red Skull. The Red Skull has taken over the body of ex-Soviet General Alexander Lukin, <laughs> by the way. It's a whole thing. They have all infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. and set Cap up to be assassinated by Crossbones on live TV. While Cap is being escorted up the stairs, everyone in the world is watching this on television. And later on, there's a series of one shots where they look at this moment and you see like where several heroes were. Like you see where the Punisher was. You see where Daredevil was. You see where Spider-Man was see, watching this on television. And as that happens, Cap notices a red laser sight on a cop in front of him that is escorting him. We later on learn that they did this on purpose. Faustus and the guys are watching this on TV and they're like, oh, God damn it. He noticed. And Faustus is like, no, this is perfect. The, of course we knew he was going to do this. This is great. And he jumps to, to save the policeman and gets shot through the neck super violently in an amazing panel by Crossbones, who was in a building across the street. In the chaos, someone else empties a handgun into his chest. We don't really see what's going on. Everyone's running and screaming, and we see someone run up, point a gun, and fire it into his chest several times. Later, we find out it was Sharon Carter because Dr. Faustus had posed as her therapist and programmed her to do it. Yeah, she didn't over even the course know. of many issues. Death issues don't get much better than this one. This issue came out the week after Civil War had just ended, and we did not expect this. We all thought this was going to lead up to a whole trial of Cap thing, and they're going to stretch it out. His death is very sudden, it's violent, and it makes what looks like it should have been a flashback issue with a ton of talking heads into an unforgettable issue in an amazing run. This is one of the best superhero deaths I've ever read because of the way they pulled it off. It, there was a selfless act, of course, because he's Cap, whatever. But it was this very sudden, terrifying, violent act, and the whole Marvel Universe reacts to it. My favorite, I think, is probably when the Punisher sees what happens. He's sitting in a bar next to some piece of shit that's like, well, screw him anyway. He was on the wrong side, whatever. And the Punisher just goes, walk, <laughs> like knocks the dude's teeth out. <laughs> I can't give this issue a bigger buy it. This is an issue that'll stick with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Uh, I love it a lot. And uh, Matt and I were discussing this before we started recording. This is, uh, this is an example of, Brubaker just showing how good he is at playing the long game. Oh, yeah. Because uh, we all know Captain America comes back. Wait a minute, what? Yeah. I thought we never saw Cap again. <laughs> right. And so we, we were having this spirited conversation about, like, no, he's dead. Like, Matt was like, no, he died. He died, died. Like, you see his dead body. And I'm like, there's a corpse. There I get is it. a corpse. I get it. You do see his dead body, but. Captain America doesn't actually die. <laughs> he gets shot by a ray gun built by Dr. Doom that freezes him in time and space. With that said, Which there is an issue called Fallen Sun where Tony spends the entire issue in a shield helicarrier talking to his corpse. I, I, <laughs> I understand, Matt. I understand. The corpse was not frozen in time. That's all I'm so saying. <laughs> if you look at this comic closely, like I did, 
Uh, Same thing happened to Batman, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Right. So. <laughs> if you look at this comic closely, like I did, uh, the the close up scene where he gets shot in the chest by the handgun, it very much looks like a regular handgun. Right. And then at the end of the issue, uh, uh, Red Skull's daughter, Sin, uh, triggers like a subliminal suggestion or whatever, and makes her remember everything that she's forgotten. Well, she makes her, Sharon remember. She Sharon, has like a yeah, keyword. Yeah. Right. She like looks at Sharon. She goes, "Remember." She makes Sharon whatever. remember everything that she did due to her programming, and they show the scene again, where it's very clear that Sharon is shooting Cap with some sort of futuristic device. Yeah, she got like whacked out laser gun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so like they knew what they were doing all along, but if you just read it in the moment, that's the sort of thing that you probably would not have caught. No. And, and I honestly, I want to go back and read those one shots that happened after this, where they showed everybody dealing with Cap's death. Yeah. Because I remember all of those being fantastic. Like, I think the only, I think the only one where they actually show his body again is that one where Tony talks to him. It's an interesting way of setting up this long time, this long-term story storyline, because we get what, at least a couple years of Bucky as Captain America, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Captain come back for at least two years, maybe three. Right, right. Because Bucky was still Cap when issue 50 came out. Yeah, they played it like, nope. And Ed Brubaker was like, I'm telling a story. You, if you don't want to buy it, don't. Because people freaked out. Right. People got mad. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, if you don't want to buy it, don't buy it. And he was sort of like this very much like how Vince McMahon treats WWE wrestling, where he'll do something that he knows you hate because you are guaranteed to watch next week. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is, a, a, this is masterful storytelling. Gorgeous art. It gets a huge buy it from me. Joe Patrick, time for possibly our most difficult death we're going to have to deal with. <laughs> one that we never got past. One it's, that, in fact, of all the heroes that have died, this is the only one that never came back. I'm still not over it. I know. It still hurts. Of course, we are talking about Superman number 75 from DC Comics 1992. I was already a huge comic fan by the time this issue came out, uh, but I can still remember how wrapped up my family got in the hype surrounding <laughs> Superman's death. I, re I reminded too. And I didn't even read Superman at the time. People were like, Oh shit, Superman's dead. Are you okay? I'm like, I don't even fucking read Superman. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> my uncle Larry bought my cousin Scotty and I every issue of the storyline he could get his hands on, including the funeral <laughs> issues. And the first chapters of Reign of the Superman, he even bought some of the reprints. We were all convinced that this was history in the making, and we were right, just not in the way we were expecting. <laughs> <laughs> as far as the impact of the story itself, while I'm sure I'd seen major character death in comics before, uh, we just got done talking about Supergirl, this will always, to me, be my first major character death by the time i'd read crisis i already knew that they'd like rebooted the universe so like anything went in that series it didn't matter right but when i read this i was like oh my god they killed superman 13 year old joe patrick thought that superman might actually be dead now i just asterisk 13 year old joe patrick was an idiot so well, fair <laughs> looking back at it though for the first time in years Superman 75 is a terrible comic book. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. It is bad. Uh, first of all, 
the art by Dan Jurgens and Brett Breeding is great. It's peak '90s Superman. Like it, oh, some yeah. people don't like Dan Jurgens, and that's fine. I am a fan. No, the art the art is good. I don't think there's an argument there. But the story is non-existent. Mm-hmm. It is literally a series of splash pages of Doomsday and Superman beating each other to death in irresponsibly close proximity to his fiance and his best friend. <laughs> Aside from background characters shouting how scary it is, there's no real scope of the power and ferocity of this battle. There is, I will say, there is one page where they make a reference to the power of their blows is so strong that it's shattered all the windows in the building. Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> It ends with a trademark 90s gimmick, a triple fold-out of Superman's dead body and tattered cape. It's all style, I, I guess you could call it that, and absolutely no substance. None. And in less than a year, it would all be undone. It's no wonder that speculators gave up the hobby in droves. Superman 75, it is a fun relic to revisit from a historical perspective, that's about it. I'm giving it a skim it. Okay. I'm giving it a leave it. And here's why. Because not only was it the pinnacle of speculation bullshit, it may be responsible for bursting the fucking bubble on comics. And there is an yeah. argument to be made <laughs> that Superman 75 was the comic that burst the bubble and made us all realize they are just doing this to get us to buy millions of copies <laughs> of this crap. Because it is garbage i read it back in the day not and i was not reading superman at the time i picked it up because they're gonna kill superman all right well i'm gonna check out this issue and even back then i said to myself this sucks (laughs) like this is i was reading you know claremont's x-men at the time which was there was the soap opera was so thick and real and there were love interests and like there was so much stuff going on and like two guys show up and punch each other to death basically this is how you kill superman he gets punched to death give me a goddamn break like this was even less than unceremonious this was dumb and i the art is good and I don't blame anyone on this creative team. I have a feeling there was a lot of editorial that was pushing them to do something like this. And I get it. I cannot give this anything above a leave it. It I was guess, stupid. I guess my point is, if you're interested in it as a relic, you're not going to put any comic book shops out of business if you read it today. <laughs> I still, I read it again and still hated it. So, Pirate like, it. Steal it from the garbage. internet. Yeah. We need, a, we need another, we need another like, rating. Pirate it. <laughs> not that we do that. We've never pirated anything and everything we read on the show we own. So there. My final review goes to Final Crisis, number six from DC. This was 2009. Now, I had read the crisis issue that Joe had picked before I read this and thought, wow, that really stressed me out. And that was my mental exercise for this week. Oh, my God, was I wrong. (laughs) Grant Morrison was the maestro behind this beautiful mess of a crossover <laughs> with help on art by J.G. Jones, Jesus Marino, Carlos Pacheco, Doug Mankey, Marco Rudy, and Christian Lamy. It took no less than six 
artists to help put Grant Morrison's idea to paper. That's on J.D. Jones. He he was he was behind the eight ball like from the jump oh, yeah. on this book. Yeah. I don't know what I could do or how much time it would even take for me to bring you up to speed on this issue. If I had a month, I could not tell you <laughs> like what was going on. In a nutshell, Darkseid's anti-life equation is destroy the Earth. There are dark anti-versions of heroes. Evil Mary Marvel is beating on Supergirl. Wonder Woman has a mask with tusks. Tawny Tiger fights a tiger version of Calabac and becomes king of the animal people. The Commandy, the last boy on Earth, fights in the far future. Oh, and by the way, Batman is in the book for two and a half pages. And on one of those panels, he dies. <laughs> this sure. Final crisis. I want to revisit this so bad because I have this memory of it being fairly amazing and taking a weird left turn with the last issue when Vampire Planet shows up. Oh, right. This isn't even the last issue, is it? No, seven is the last issue. Yes. And there was a Superman. The Vampire Monitor. Yes, there was a Superman miniseries that dealt with like. Superman Beyond, yes. It just just so happened with that Superman miniseries was dealing with the main story of Final Crisis. Yeah. (laughs) Which is so bizarre. Final Crisis was awesome in scope, and it had some of the best artists working in comics at that time trying desperately to realize Morrison's nonsense on paper. Reading this made me want to revisit the event in full, but I'm not sure it would make any sense the third goddamn time I read it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And Batman has the quickest, most unnecessary one-panel death just after he escaped Morrison's other Batman death in the pages of Batman R.I.P. Batman R.I.P. was never about Batman dying. That's not fair. That's not fair. It's called Rest in Peace. Not only that, did he not die there? He didn't die here either. But again, he's frozen in time. Again, frozen in time, but Superman shows up with an emaciated bat It definitely a dead body. (laughs) He is holding a skeleton in the Batman costume on the final page. And the title of the book is How to Murder the Earth. (laughs) So here's, all right. I just want to. I, unpa- I, I haven't want to rated this something. yet, Joe. Oh, you haven't. I'm giving so it a buy it. No, what? <laughs> I'm giving it a buy it because, like, whereas the, the Final Crisis was so fucking nuts and lost me, and I just picked out an issue or whatever, I read this and it was like a super circus on cocaine of, of <laughs> DC heroes exploding and dying and murdering each other, and like the past and the present has all been fucking mashed together and what is even happening and wow this looks amazing <laughs> like that's where i ended up like this comic looks amazing <laughs> okay but see that's not what you like your thought process here is all over the place because you started off wanting to give it a leave it and then you gave it a skim it because you didn't know what the hell happened and now you're making it a buy it yes because that's what grant morrison does to you Grant Morrison is a crazy person, and there really is some very deep, incredible stuff that he is drawing on from the DC universe here. The the death of Batman here is completely wasted and stupid and makes no sense. 
They, and turns out not to even be the death of Batman. That said, it was such a spectacle and so ridiculous oh, in scope. It's, I definitely, think this is, it's definitely not the worst death, <laughs> but we're going to talk about that. We'll get to that. But I, I just think what Morrison did here is so purely Grant Morrison, where he just cut his head open and dumped his brain on the, on the fucking page. And he is such a historian. The, the stuff that is even mentioned here is just ridiculous. It goes way back into weird Kirby ideas. And I think I love it. <laughs> I think I love it. I wanted to hate it, but like talking about it, I think I truly love this miniseries. All right. So I reread this entire series and all of the tie-ins uh, right after the DC Universe app launched. So it hasn't been that long since I've revisited it. I read this issue again, uh, having read the whole series, as I said, less than a year ago. <laughs> and I was still just like, what? What it is, is <laughs> what? Yeah. It and is a beautiful mess. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe it. I, I do think it's a mess. And if so, like if somebody read this and they were like, uh, I don't like Grant Morrison, I'd be like, I get it. Yeah, totally. Uh, I get it. Because there are different levels of Grant Morrison. There's the Grant Morrison that can tell a coherent story. Right. But the Grant Morrison that's writing the current Green Lantern, for sure, example. or JLA, his JLA, like he he can write a coherent story that still has lots of really big, wild ideas, right? And then there is this, which is really just a series of ideas smashed together right. that happens to tell a story that starts with Anthro and ends with Commandy, yeah. <laughs> which is just like so whoa. <laughs> The first boy on earth and the last boy on earth. <laughs> like he was trying so hard to smash so many different Kirby ideas into the same moment in time as he could that it just, it was lost on me. Like the idea of like, uh, if, please, uh, please remember that this also followed two different comics that ended with the death of the new gods in two different ways. <laughs> yeah. There was Countdown to Final Crisis, which is a nightmare. It's a terrible comic. It's absolutely garbage. There's also Jim Starlin's Death of the New Gods. Uh, different kind of garbage. Which is a whole nother thing. And <laughs> I'm not sure that Grant Morrison was paying attention to either of them. No. Instead, we have this weird pseudo version of the new gods where they're like Calabax in an animal body dark side possessed the body of a fat cop <laughs> and it's like all right well, they all manifested uh, on earth basically and they're like we're gonna pollute earth yeah with the it's, more like, it's more like like the new gods are an idea well yeah but they wanted to like pollute Right. The world with the anti-life very yeah, yeah. gently as opposed to forcing it just very gently introduce it and so like the 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 main story where it's like the new gods uh, uh dark side and his new gods have infiltrated the planet in disguise they are slowly brainwashing the populace and now it's too late to stop them i get it i get it and the rest of the event is about the superheroes fighting back in this glorious rebellion fine right. 
Absolutely. What we get here is just pages of wild nonsense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, it, it's not fair to judge this particular issue for the sins of the conclusion. No. But Morrison but, then immediately pulls the rug out from the reader and makes the story about something completely different. Well, let's let's not focus on that. Let's focus on Batman's death because we're we're reviewing we are. the hero's death. All right, here. so Batman's so death. So let's focus on that. Um I think that it's a neat moment. It uh, is a neat moment. Batman shows up with the radion bullet that can kill a god, basically, and says, I solved the murder of Orion. Yeah, I know what you I did. I figured it out. Yeah. This is how you did it. And he confronts Darkseid, and Darkseid's like, you really think you can shoot me before I use my Omega Beans? And Batman's like, bang! Doesn't even say anything. <laughs> it just, like, shoots him. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's even, like, I'm not wild about, about the gun aspect, but there's, well, but even, even says, there's even a line where it's like, I hate guns, I don't, I abhor gun violence, but I'm gonna make an exception in your case. Yeah. Um, and then Darkseid's Omega Beams are snaking all around the room, and right before they connect with Batman's temples, he does that Grant Morrison thing where he, it's just like, HH. <laughs> where it's like, <laughs> like Grant Morrison does, always did that thing where it's like a grunt Batman did. So it was like, <laughs> It was like HH or TT, like a, like a tisk, you know, or something. Right. And, uh, and then he gets obliterated. <laughs> um, and it's a great, it's a great moment, but that's all it is, is a moment. It's uh, a blip. So it's not a great death. Yeah. I, I, I mean, a cool it's not moment. very satisfying. It's a cool moment in a gigantic mess of a story. I have to, I have to give this a skimmit because I think taken as a whole, a patient reader can probably like find something enjoyable out of final crisis, but as a single issue experience, this doesn't make any sense. Fair. <laughs> it really doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. My final, final review, Joe, Jesus oh, God, I, man, I we have been going on we've and been on doing this all day. <laughs> My final review is of Avengers number 502 from Marvel comics, 2004. I think that my undeserved reputation as a quote-unquote Bendis hater was seeded in this infamous storyline, Avengers Disassembled, where the writer dismantled the classic team, leaving a ton of bodies in his wake. This issue is famous for the ridiculous death of Hawkeye. After a series of attacks seemingly made by their closest allies, a Kree warship shows up in the skies above Avengers Mansion. Hawkeye's solution to the problem? I need more arrows. That's a direct quote. I need well, more arrows. That's kind of what he does. Yeah, you know? it's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, he comes out, and this is something I forgot. He comes out strapped to the gills with yeah. a ridiculous number of arrows protruding from his quiver. He looks like an early porcupine. 90s young blood character. He looks like porcupine. Oh, yeah, <laughs> sure. That's like- fair. He looks like porcupine. Uh, he is then, panels later, shot in the back, which catches his supply of, no doubt, very explosive arrows on fire. Does he release the literally one fucking clamp on his chest to take off the quiver? No. Instead, he cries out, not like this, and grabs a jetpack-wearing Kree soldier and forces him to fly into the engine of the warship, destroying it in spectacular fashion. Now, I want to say, it happens very quickly in the comic, but the time it takes 
to get from the ground via a jetpack that's probably only made to carry one person. <laughs> Many hundreds, if not thousands of feet into the air. It's probably way longer than it would have taken him to take off that goddamn quiver. Well, okay, it wasn't that high. The ship was right there. It was like right there. Hundreds of feet. I'll give you hundreds, not thousands. <laughs> 1,000 feet. 16 years later, and it is still probably the dumbest comic book character death I have ever read. It's like there was some kind of mandate to take Hawkeye off the board, and Bendis just couldn't be bothered to come up with a good way to do it. As for the rest of the issue, it is super decompressed. Like, oh yeah, was definitely like was kind of the they got criticized for back in the day. Uh, Avengers disassembled is two and a half issues of uh, explosions, grimace face, what, why, and then maybe an issue and a half of actual plot. I've never been a huge David Finch fan. Uh, his art here is very stylish. It has promising moments. It's also full of contorted faces and very stiff poses. Yeah. Now, I'm, I am being hard on this, but I did really enjoy the era that follows Avengers 502, but I can't help but feel like the classic version of the team deserved a more dignified send-off. I'm giving this a skim it. Yeah, I mean, I love Bendis, and I'm, I am a full-on Bendis apologist and lover. This was not his brightest moment. I get you've been given a chance to disassemble the Avengers or take the Avengers apart or destroy this team. Who could resist that? That is fun. This is a dumb way to kill Hawkeye. If you want to say that Hawkeye is like, Oh shit, we're getting our asses kicked. I don't know what else to do, but I'm not going to let, you know, cap and the guys down. I'm going to kill myself and be a hero and grab somebody with a jetpack and fly and, you know, and shoot my detonator thing into the engine and die or whatever. Okay. Yeah. You're a hero. This is such a dumb way to kill Hawkeye. <laughs> it's bad. It really is. It's very bad. I still think Superman's death is worse, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Well, I mean, yeah, being I, punched to death is, is also bad. Right. David Finch. I remember, I remember when I bought this, I, I thought it was beautiful. And going back and looking at it, yes, it is very stiff. He was like a top sound, cow guy, right? He did like darkness and stuff. Yes. Th this sounds bad because I'm not an artist and who am I to judge these fucking people? But I feel like David Finch would be revealed <laughs> later on. You know what I mean? To not be the amazing artist that we thought he was. You know, the guy is very talented and does a certain thing and does it well. But right. he wasn't quite there yet here. I'm going to give us this skimming as well because they were obviously forcing something. It led to much better and like an incredible run. Oh in yeah. Avengers. Like uh, I, I recently reread a huge chunk of Bendis's run on Avengers and new it. Avengers. I love it. It's great. It's, it's a lot of fun. It really is. And, and I get why it lost some people in some old school Avengers fans. Not, like, this is it bullshit. is not the classic Avengers. Not at all. And I totally agree. Wolverine should not be Avenger. Spider-Man, not an Avenger. Daredevil, not an Avenger. I totally agree. I loved them when they were there. And I loved how Bendis did it. Me too. Given this to skim it, this is a bad way to kill Hawkeye. <laughs> yeah. at, at the least. <laughs> fizz, 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 fizz. That does it for reviews this weekend. Fizz, 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 fizz. 
is the sound of Hawkeye pumping arrows into a platoon of Kree soldiers, as seen in the pages of Avengers 502. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by yours truly, Joe Patrick. If you want to submit your own onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or, better yet, call us, make the noise, and tell us where it came from and we'll play it on the show, which you will hear next week. So of the comics we reviewed, who had the best death? Uh, I think Supergirl had the best death scene. I'm going to go with Captain America, but I don't disagree that Supergirl's was great. I like Captain America. Captain America's is great, but it's also all very surprising. Like, yeah. like there's no, that, there's no that, like goodbye. That's why it's great. That's there's why there's no it's great, goodbye to Cap, right? Opinion. He's just like, yeah. oh shit, I've been shot. And then he's dead. I can't believe they did it. Like that's sure. how great. Now, and the worst, I'm still going to say, man, I'm tempted to say Superman, but I, I think it is Hawkeye. It's Hawkeye. Right. It's Hawkeye. <laughs> yeah. It's Hawkeye. Like, like, I'm with you 100% that having the greatest superhero in your pantheon of heroes die by getting punched to death is idiotic. Right. It's but stupid. Hawkeye's God. death makes the character an idiot. And that's no, exactly. why I think it's worse. <laughs> Fair Joe, it's time to fold up the flag and put these heroes to rest. Let's head to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to shake the magic eight ball of Marduk and reveal the theme for next week's reviews because, yes, Diamond is shipping comics, but they're not shipping very many. <laughs> We're going to let some stockpile up. It looks like next week we're going to be reviewing what ifs. Now, not just what if, literally. Alternate right. realities. Not just more what if. Alternate reality issues. What ifs. Elseworlds. Yeah. Or, or just an issue where they showed us like a view of something in the future. That, mirror, oh my mirror God. Universe Star Trek. Oh, can't wait. This is going to yeah. be fun. Stay tuned uh, to our Facebook and Twitter to see which issues we're going to be reading. And you can play along at home. Uh, shout out to our old buddy, Ed Schnazzi, who suggested this theme. Nice job, Ed. Good to hear from you, man. Now let's peer to the cursed mirror of Cathan and see what it picks for the completely random trade of the week. Joe Patrick, what do we got? The THN trade of the week, coincidentally, is Batman, a death in the family. This happens every week. <laughs> this is nuts. <laughs> it's a new edition of the trade paperback from DC Comics written by Jim Starlin and Marv Wolfman. With art by Jim Aparo and George Perez, it's 272 pages for $24.99. Here's your solicit. It's a new paperback edition of the classic Batman <laughs> tale that sealed the fate of the second Robin, Jason Todd. Uh, the reason why there are other creators involved is that it not only collects Batman 426 through 429, but it also collects A Lonely Place of Dying, which is the storyline that introduced Tim Drake. Oh, yeah. Uh, from the pages of Batman 440 through 442 and the New Titans number 60 and 61. So this is some good reading if you like your Robins dead and or new. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Be sure to get to your comic shop. Pick this one up. They still need your help. Yes, new comics are coming right now. It's very slim, but 
anything that's appreciated and anything you can do, go pick up any of these books. Give them a read. Go pick up Final Crisis. Go pick up any of the Ed Brubaker Captain America stuff, okay? They need your help. These are fantastic reads. And you know what? We bagged on some stuff here. Final Crisis especially because it is such a mess. Give it a read. It's still worth reading. worth reading. It's worth reading just to see the fucking spectacle. <laughs> Nothing hey, else. Clean out the stuff that's still sitting in your pull file, you damn deadbeat. Yeah, there you go. You know who you are. As you heard in episode 571, Matt and Casey have been working their way through a chronological Marvel movie rewatch. And today on the show, it's time for the second half and finale in our Casey Explains It All segment. Casey, welcome back to the Ziggurat. Good to have you again. Well, thank you. You're very popular, so we had to bring you back to finish the segment. I get a little jealous of your popularity, honestly. Not because I'm afraid anyone's going to take my wife, but because I want to be the popular kid. Sounds about right. It's tough for me. <laughs> we are discussing our second half mm-hmm. of our Marvel chronological yeah. Marvel rewatch. Now, there is a little bit of controversy here because we didn't watch the Hulk and we did not watch Venom. Venom's not even listed on any of these I know, lists. I agree. I don't think it is either. That's but some, dumb. We got called out. <laughs> Venom is so stupid, too. We got called out. I Actually, agree. I Venom was one of the best comedies I saw. <laughs> Venom was stupid. So last time we ended with Guardians of the Galaxy 2, where do we pick up? Avengers Age of Ultron. Okay. I remember. This is a controversial movie. I remember walking out of the theater and being like, that wasn't bad. I had a good time. And then people talked a bunch of smack about it. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, it wasn't as good as the first one. I think they're right. It was kind of crap. We watched it again and we loved it. Um, I would like to disclaim, I never saw it in the theaters. I saw it on TV one time. And then this was like my actual first time watching it unedited, not on like TNT or something. We really liked it. I No, I don't think we really liked it. We said it wasn't bad. It was better than I remember. <laughs> we had issues. Specifically, I had issue with Scarlet Witch. Yeah, she... And all, Vision. Man, all of a sudden... <laughs> I had a really... I have such Her issue. accent cleared up. Fast. No, but this is the first time we meet her. So this is the first time we get her. And she legit has an, ac- like an accent in this movie. And she sticks to it. But like, I get that she's trying to figure out that she is you know, using her power for good and all that stuff. Sure, sure. Um, but she's kind of worthless. I feel like she's worthless in every movie, and I'm sorry, I just do not I like her. I don't love her as a character, period, because I, I'm not crazy about, like, well, what are her powers, and is magic a power? Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I, I was never really crazy about the character. And there is a lot of her in Vision in this one, and the Too Vision is much. always whining, always depressed. Uh, Wanda. <laughs> It would not be safe for you to go out. Uh, okay. I'm making this. Oh, this dish I used to make in my country. You need um, a paprika. My biggest. Yeah, paprika. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about paprika. You had the paprika vision. <laughs> she gets over that real quick, though. My biggest problem was Quicksilver. It was like such a waste in this. Yeah, thumbs down. Especially after you see Quicksilver in the X-Men movie, who yeah. kicked butt. He was so much better Such a waste. But there was like some good Avengers moments. There was some legit cool action and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, we both liked old. Ultron a lot. Ultron was great. Yeah, I Ultron's good. portrayed him and stuff. Yeah, James Spader was perfectly cast as his voice. It also made a lot more sense to me when I watched it this time. I was like, oh yeah, he modeled himself after Tony's kind of ego, so that's why he acts like that. Oh, I didn't get that, but I'll, I'll say sure. Okay, next up. Oh, next up, we have one of my favorite, which is also controversial because people don't seem to like this movie as much as I do. Okay. Ant-Man. I, everybody loved Ant-Man. Ant-Man? I'm sorry. Ant-Man probably ranks in like top seven for Ant-Man me. Ant-Man was great. It was too, it was great. This movie is 
almost as fun as Guardians. It was perfectly timed, too, because it was right after a very serious Avengers yeah, movie. and I think that's my problem with Ultron. It was also so freaking serious. It was very serious. And then we got, There's like, much shit a very fun, lighthearted Ant-Man movie. I'm telling you, Ant-Man, when they it was great are visit, fighting at the end... When they, like you see them like on the train and they're punching and it like is so dramatic and then they pan away from the camera and it's, it's like Thomas the train like, like do do <laughs> it is so good like to me that it was like wonderful and every time I see it it makes me laugh it was great I, I love that Michael movie Pena so much. is just wonderful Ugh. in it he's absolutely wonderful. Mm. T.I. is really good in it. <laughs> yeah. I, everyone in that movie is Walter so Goggins great. is great in it. No, he's in the second one. Boo. Oh, you're right. He's in the second Settle one. Settle it down. This is the first one. Pull it back. My bad. We'll get there. Yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah, Ant-Man is one of my favorite. I think that, I think people, when it came out, were like, this is silly. And it's like, yeah. It was still, it's still it got, silly. It still got reviewed very well. I know. Right I just now. feel I mean, like it didn't make the money it should have. Ant-Man deserves better. And I will take that and protest it. Any Marvel rewatch. It was great. Because I have watched this one. We've watched Ant-Man quite a few times. We've watched both the Ant-Man movies a few times. Yeah. yeah. And they're and great. Every time. The, I feel like Captain Marvel, Ant-Man, Spider-Man, every time you watch them, they're still wonderful to watch. It's funny to say, but it's like Oscar award winner Michael Douglas, legendary actor, is probably, I'm not going to say the weakest spot, but like. The, oh, I think he's really good in he's this. He's good in it, but he's like also the character that I care less about See, I than thought, anyone else. I thought the bad guy, the Hornet, whatever his name was. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, think he was the weakest. He's a perfectly good introductory bad guy for this, though. And, you know, yeah. he, he worked fine. And the, his outfit was cool as hell. I loved it. The effects in Ant-Man were cool as hell. All right, next. <gasps> Captain America Civil War. So this is a biggie because this is where we get our first appearance of Black Panther. Yep. And it's basically another Avengers movie. Oh, this is totally not a Cap movie. Everybody's this there. This is an Avengers movie, yeah. and this sets up the conflict between Tony and- We get the first, we get Spider-Man, too. Yep, you get Spider-Man, and it sets up the conflict with Tony and uh, Cap. This movie features uh, one of my most favorite scenes ever, and it's Bucky, because you know I love me some Bucky. Bucky, Cap, and Tony, when they're fighting in that um, oh, yeah. close quarters- Oh, yeah, at the very end, yeah. Oh! Wonderful. That scene is so tough. And yeah. the other scene, when, like, the gun to his- oh, the action in this movie is fantastic. It's great. And the introduction of Spider-Man is perfect. Just yeah. Perfect. You, all the nerds in the theater really it's like so that. So sweet. You know, like, oh, and he, he's just so great and out of his <laughs> element. And him fighting giant Ant-Man and stuff is, is super fun. And uh, yeah, what this they, is, I feel like once again, though, Wanda, who has less of an accent now again. No accent. It's gone. Oh, wait, maybe this is the one where she says paprika. Sorry, my bad. Was that in the beginning of this? Oh, this you're right. It was the beginning of this one. My bad. I just associate Vision that. Where Vision is like saying, no, you, you can't have to go, stay home. You can't go because Hawkeye has to come and he's like, I'm not retired anymore. Because she does the thing where she blows up uh, crossbones in the beginning and like yeah, people yeah, get yeah, injured yeah, yeah, yeah. and everyone's like, oh crap, she's too powerful. She's the worst. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And then she gets rescued by Hawkeye, who's like also the worst, so... You know, if we take them out of the movie. Not the worst. When they focus on Cap, Bucky, and Tony, all in. It's great. All in. It's a fantastic Cap movie. It's a good setup to get to the end game, and I feel like. action scenes with Cap and Bucky where they're escaping, like, all the armored police and whatnot. Like, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Mm. Running down the staircase and stuff, and Bucky's trying to kill guys, and Cap's pulling them out of the air. Like, come on, man. <laughs> I'm trying to help Oh, yeah, because Cap or Bucky's like, I didn't do that. Yeah. He's like, that's not me. That was the, the Russian guy. Or the guy that... Uh, what are you talking about? And the bad guy. He's the one that sent all the super soldiers out to do all this to frame Bucky. And that's why Bucky's like, Cap, I didn't do this. Do you not remember this movie at all? The guy that... 
Oh, Zemo, you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I don't know his name. Okay, no, I was just talking about the when they were, uh, you were confused me, so I was talking about where they were running down the stairs and doing that stuff. I think you're confused on a lot of these movies. No, Zemo was wonderful in this, though. He was a great bad guy. He, I feel like, was one of the first good bad guys we've had since this rewatch. Because I... What do you mean since this rewatch? I don't, I think they're, the Marvel bad guys are fine until you get to Black Panther. And I think once you got to Black Panther, you had your first... Excellent, perfect villain. 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 Had some drinks. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I really liked the Red Skull in the first Captain America a lot. Mm. I thought he was great, and he was super scary and exactly what he needed I to be. I feel he was not scary. Oh, get out of here! All right, so Civil War sets us all up, and because we got the introduction of Spider Man, that's where we go next. We go to Spider Man Homecoming, which is a delight, and I will watch this movie yeah. a million times and love Tom Holland and Zendaya. All the time. And his little <laughs> cell phone videos that he's making that oh. leads up to the fight at the airport and Civil War yeah. and everything. And then when he's like, Tony so Stark's good. dropping him off and he like reaches for the door and he's like, oh, we're going to hug now. He's like, <laughs> Tom Holland is so wonderful and perfect. Yeah. And this is like coming from two people that have seen all the other Spider-Mans and with this like Kevin Maguire and stuff. It's just yeah. a wonderful movie. We've watched this like three or four times. Yeah, too. we've watched this a lot. It's just wonderful. Everyone is so good. The kids are believable as kids. Like they are high school kids. And I, I love it. Ned, it's just wonderful. Yeah, they all act like they're in high school. There's MJ, high school problems. Wonderful. Like, yeah. Uh, the smart mouth little African exchange student kid is like my favorite. It just keeps calling Flash out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Flash is incorrect. <laughs> yeah, it's just a great movie. It's great. Uh, Donald Glover makes that nice little cameo. Yeah. He's and Michael pretty, Keaton is a, he's a good very villain. believable and like Fun. he had really good motivation. He, and I loved his crew was great too. The guy mm-hmm. from Patriot, who's act- the actor, I can't think of the kind of chunkier guy. Don't he know was, who you're talking about. He was fantastic. He was the guy that put everything together. Mm-hmm. And then they have the fun twist where he turns out to be Liz's dad. Peter has a crush on Liz. It was so much fun. Yes. And even seeing Spider-Man, like when you take him out of the city and he's in like the suburbs, he's not real good swinging around and stuff. No. He's like running through people's yards. <laughs> like, it was great. Yeah, because he, he did all that and he's like, I am this big time hero now because i fought with the avengers and he just you know he thinks that he's bigger than he is and he's like i should be doing all this and helping all yeah. these people good motivation but he's not good at his job yet and he gets a new suit at and the he, end oh, and stuff. Man. yeah super Tony. fun yeah it's a great one i love that one i love everyone in it one of my favorites next oh dr strange dr strange huh one of my favorites yeah i hate it you do not. I do not like Doctor Strange. Get out of here. Doctor Strange. That movie was great. Uh, my three least favorite movies are Ultron, Iron Man 3, and Doctor Strange. Get out of here. You know I don't like it. The whole time we watched it, I was like, I do not like this movie. Get out And of I here. got mad how underused Rachel McAdams is. What was your problem with Doctor Strange? One, how underused Rachel McAdams is, because she, she is a delight and wonderful and deserves better. I love better. her too, but she's playing a nurse and a love interest. I mean, uh, She definitely wasn't a love interest. She was like the ex-love interest, but right. okay. And a nurse. If, if she had superpowers, and I could see how they like put her the in the movie more. she was like the human that grounds everyone. She should be, no. She had a pretty major role. Fine, underused. And I loved how um, they like turned you know magic into martial arts to make it look more impressive and stuff. And I come mean, it's on. trippy as hell. If you're on some high the quality ancient like one, shrooms she was and stuff, so maybe. good. The effects are amazing. <laughs> the effects are very trippy. I I think my they yeah. introduced Mordo. They introduced. Oh, come on, it was I, not great. my favorite. Not my favorite. Uh, I will take that with me. Not my favorite. I, I like him. I loved. It. I like Doctor Strange when he pops up in the smaller stuff, but. I definitely don't need to see another Doctor Strange movie. Uh, Controversial opinion. I'm ready for another one. Unless Rachel McAdams in it. Don't care. I need Clea. I need to see what happens with Mordo. Mm Mm-hmm. Nothing. 
Nothing. I feel nothing. Okay. But you know what I feel a lot for? What? Black Panther. Which was is that next. the next one? Oh, yeah, it was. It was. And this has the best Marvel villain to date. Killmonger. Eric Killmonger. Yeah. Is the best Marvel villain and the best style in any movie. That sweater when he takes the throne. <laughs> I think I turned to you in the theater and I was like, I need that sweater. And you were like, what? That's what you're taking away from this? I don't know and I was if it like, would fit yes. you as well. <laughs> I mean, I probably couldn't go bare chest yeah, like he did. He's kind of a big ripped up dude, you know? <laughs> Michael Bay Jordan is wonderful. And yes, I made Bay instead of B. We, That's my joke. We all heard it. It's hilarious. It is because he is fun. No, and it was wonderful. It was absolutely That movie's so good. Start it's to colorful. Finish. It's everyone is so good. The females in this movie are the coolest. They're super badass. Ugh, like uh, so badass. Mbaku, the the uh, man ape dude is just <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Good. The vegetarian. Oh, loved him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I love Black Panther. I think the music is great. Kendrick does a whole soundtrack. Oh my god. Yeah, it's I just think fantastic. just all and over. it still completely holds up. It's still just as good. It's not one of those things where we watched it and went like, oh yeah, you know, it's it's worn off. Nah. No, it's still great. No, there's totally great. Everything about it is still good. The story, the music, the visuals, and the effects. The, the only the complaints that I really heard for, about this movie was like, well, yeah, the main character was kind of dialed back and kind of reserved, but he has to be. He's the king. Oh, I didn't hear he that. He has to be. I heard really racist things about it, negative wise, so I just didn't even well, listen I'm not to that even, because I'm those not people are dicks that, yeah. and they should not. And I just don't have any time in my world for yeah, those. Yeah, if you have a problem assholes. with black people in movies, then we yeah. have a different problem altogether. Yeah. <laughs> so fuck you. Um, black Panther is one of my favorites, though. I love it. And we've watched that a few times. Yeah. I think I actually, after it came out, like you could watch it on video. I think even without you, I that was one of the first ones I queued up and rewatched by myself again because I was like, oh, I it's great. It. Still totally holds up. And I also love Michael B. Jordan because he's the best. Okay. okay. So after that, just have to shout him out anytime I get is Thor Ragnarok, which is the first Thor movie I saw because oh, that's yeah, I didn't right. watch the other two until this rewatch. So this was my introduction to a standalone Thor movie, and I was all in because it was colorful and goofy and oh, so fun. Every time we've- Tessa Thompson. I've probably oh. watched this movie three or four times. Oh yeah, we've watched it a lot. And every time I liked it more. And, and this time after we finished it, I was like, I think this is my favorite Marvel movie. Oh, bold choice. It's just I'm going to say top five for me, for sure. And the, him and the Hulk and their adorable relationship. I just so good. Well, all of them. Tessa Thompson's great. And I feel yeah. like every time I watch it, I find something new. Like something new that Jeff Goldblum does or something new that Loki did and yeah. I didn't like realize before or... You know, at the very end again, oh, this is, you know, me. Oh, no, he died. He, you know, I'm just holding him. Yeah, I he's know like, I just feel guilty. So I've been yeah. carrying him around. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, oh hey, everybody, he's Thanks alive. <laughs> like, I don't even remember that from like the last one. And I was like, that is so funny. And that was Taika Waititi doing the voice. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the Korg, good thing about maybe. this movie, I think Kate Blanchett was... Um, an amazing villain. Too. Incredible. She was another good villain. Yeah. I would give her a top five villain. She looked like she was having a blast and it would be so cool when she could just like take her hand and like over her head and then the horns would oh, appear yeah. and I was like, dope. And Carl Urban is fantastic in this. It's totally great. Yeah, he was good. I mean, he's no Cape Blanchett, but whatever. <laughs> no, but he's supposed to be kind of a bumbling. I get it. Like, I'm not totally a bad guy, but I'll go with whoever's in charge yeah. right now. And you Fine seem to supporting be supporting cast. He was great. I'll give it that. Um, so, but the good thing about that is it sets us up for Infinity War because the post credits are them on their ship escaping and mm -hmm. they see Thanos's ship pull up. Yep. Scary stuff. Doom. So that leads us to Infinity War. Yeah. So this is a biggie. I didn't realize I've seen um, Endgame a couple times now. 
the very last one. I have the... only watched Infinity War, the first one, once. This is the second time I've seen this movie. Mm, nope. We watched it one time already. We've watched it like twice. I don't believe so. I mean, you probably fell asleep because you do that a lot. That does happen. Mm-hmm. But this was the like I there was so much in this movie that I did not remember how big it was. I mean, like I remember, yeah, it was huge in scope and a lot happened. I forgot. You didn't remember that Wanda had no accent in this movie? Wanda's accent is completely <laughs> gone. And they like kind She's of totally Americanized at this point. Like Americanized no over in Europe <laughs> with vision. Yeah. Who sometimes wears a human body, but, but essentially she's having sex so, with an AI. No. I How mean, does that work? He's an android, but yeah. I have a lot of questions. He's an android, but he's alive. I still don't totally Does he understand. Have a penis? I still don't totally understand where he got the mind stone or whatever. They, like, they got the mind stone in Ultron. We've gone over this. I know, I know, I know. <sighs> Anyhow, Infinity War, Captain America with a beard. Loved it. Boom. Yeah. He should always have a beard. Loved it. Not enough Bucky for my taste, but I understand. Rocking the beard. <laughs> and like they set you up for this big, like happy ending where it's like they're doing it. They're all together. Thor's back. He's blowing stuff up. He's killing all yeah. the alien shit. You know, like they're they're doing it. The Avengers so, are going to save us. Let's talk about that because <laughs> Thor hooks up with the Guardians. I feel resulting in one of the best chemistry pairings oh, yet. Yeah. That entire scene where they tell Quill he's like one sandwich away from like all this ridiculousness. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm not. Dave Batista. Yeah. Like, he's like, you're, you've grown fat. <laughs> he's like fat. He's like, no, I'm not fat. And he's they're like, like touching you're almost him. fat. Yeah. Like one sandwich short. Now Rocket's like, Quill, you're like one sandwich away. <laughs> but then like, but they're all like touching him. He's like, why are we touching him? We don't need to touch him. And then all of a sudden he starts talking like this. And he's like, like an Quill, angel, that's not how you talk. Had a baby. <laughs> yeah. I just love how like they're all into Thor and like Quill's just like, what the hell? <laughs> it's like, yes, you are a man, but this, <laughs> is a this <laughs> is a specimen of a man. Yeah. So I just, I love that. Like, that's a nice interference. Infinity War also has one of the most heartbreaking scenes. Uh, the blip when it happens and everyone, or, you know, cause I call it the blip in the second one, but when Thanos snaps and everyone kind of goes to dust, like, I mean, when we were watching it, when the Scarlet Witch did that, we were both like, yay. We like cheer. Cause we're like, you're the worst. Cause we're the worst. Uh, but when like every time with that Peter Parker scene, yeah. When he goes, still gets me. Like in the theater, it got me, and I don't cry at movies. Yeah, and I was like kind of choking up then. And every time I watch it, it is still kind of like a gut punch. Still gets me every time. Like I don't want to leave. Like I'm sorry, Mr. Stark. What's happening? I don't feel good. I don't want to leave. And it's just ugh. Well, and the whole chemistry between Tony and Doctor Strange in this movie is wonderful. See, I'm fine with Doctor Strange in this movie because so I have good. bare minimum Strange because in my they're life. they're both just like complete egotists, but they come from different, like Doctor Strange is doing magic, Tony's doing technology, they hate what each other does. You know, it, uh, it, it's so good. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Um, I don't mind Doctor Strange in this movie again, um, but I think it's really good. I think Cap is, again, wonderful, and I really like him with the beard, and he should always have it. So that's my say on that. We get a lot more Natasha in this movie, too. We get to see her. Like, yeah, I like Natasha. Natasha. She steps up, and the yeah. next movie we get even more. Yeah, I have some issues, but yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I think Natasha is a central character, and I feel like maybe they did her a little wrong at the end in Endgame, but whatever. Um, <laughs> We're not there yet. I so. know. So let's continue. We have half the population wiped out because of a, th- a little snap from Thanos, and that leads us to Ant-Man and the Wasp, which I might even like more than Ant-Man. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's better. It's so 
good. Like, well, they establish <laughs> they establish a lot of stuff that you know you liked in the first film, and then in the second one, they're like, all right, we've already established it, so we can just right off the bat, the roll with it. The card, the giant Pez. Oh, yeah. Oh, Cassie bought me this Pez. Do you like Pez? Do you want a Pez? <laughs> like, this is talking. Whoa! Uh, this one, even with Paul Rudd's crew, is even better, but just like the whole, like the FBI agent, Randall, um, Park trying to get him all the time, yeah. and he has like the ankle weight yeah. on the the ant. He's Jimmy Woo, you know, and then like uh, Walter Goggins is the he's in this one. He's like one he's of the, the arms dealer bad guys, guys. Yeah. yeah, ghost and all that. There's a lot that goes on. In this, this, this movie actually has quite a few subplots, like yeah. they're rescuing Michelle Pfeiffer, Lawrence I mean, Fishburne, and stuff. Is there? Yeah, like, you have a problem with Lauren Fishburne in this movie. No, I don't have a problem. Not with, with it. Lawrence himself. I Let's a, just like backtrack that. You have a I, problem with his character. I, didn't I don't like that we knew Ghost was doing bad stuff, and he continued. To stay by her. It's like that but dude's a hero. He man. was trying to fix her and help her. I know. I know. And she was like Bucky, where she was doing the bad stuff before, and then he got her out of shield. Yeah, but then she totally went bad again. She no didn't go bad. She was trying to get this shit for herself, and she didn't like kill the wasp when she got it. She just like beat her up a little bit. And the wasp got back. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, you know. Anyway, I love that movie. I also like the way they were going to fix her. It's like, oh, yeah, we'll just uh, we'll go to the quantum verse and get quantum energy and you'll feel better. That's okay. essentially what they're doing. OK. At the very end of the movie, that's how he gets like well, what stuck. Is, like shrinking in the quantum universe have to do with ghost. I don't like that. No, was the shit it that was the energy like, because remember what? Michelle Pfeiffer comes out and it's like you're in pain and touches her and she gets better. And so like at the very end, how Paul Rudd gets stuck in there is because he's like, I'm going to go in there and get some. Quantum I know. Energy I know. I know. Ghost friend. I'm aware. I'm aware. I mean, Are it, you though? Yes. Mm, debatable if you are or not. So the ending of this, because everyone's like, how is this tying in between, you know, Endgame? Because Paul Rudd, Ant-Man was not in Infinity War. Right. Either was Hawkeye. Bless up. Thank God. So. Well, he was retired. He's hanging with his family. After coming back again. But I digress. Uh, So then it leads us into Endgame, which starts with stupid Hawkeye. But that opening scene with Hawkeye is fantastic. And I don't care about I don't care about is the family it? and stuff. I think it's dumb that a super secret agent has a family and a They farm have a whole conversation shit. about what toppings go on a hot dog. That little kid though, and he's like, um, how about ketchup? Like adorable. <laughs> I love that kid. Yeah. He's my kid. And then his family mm-hmm. vanishes and stuff. I do think So then he goes on a murder rampage. That is a little It makes s- no sense. Yeah, that's a little silly. The whole like, you know, good people died, so I'm gonna kill the bad people because they don't deserve to live. And who are these bad people that he's killing because they don't even tell you who they are they're so they're like random bad people generic gangster bad guys you know whatever mm, it would have been it would yeah, stupid it would have been a little cooler had you like oh man he just went and killed stilt man or he just went and killed some weird you know yeah. like marvel villains that nobody cares about anyway instead he went to japan and killed actual fun. like asian dudes well they were bad racist. i mean they were bad hawkeye would be racist they were gangsters hawkeye would be racist. he's not being racist hawkeye's he was racist saying it now stop it so anyway, so it starts with a few left. This is, I think, where Natasha starts out really strong in this movie. She's running the team. She's running the team because Cap just like pieces out. Well, Cap doesn't piece out. Cap is a criminal. They're all criminals. No, not all of them are. Yeah. Natasha is still working with the government. Cap and his side are criminals. Basically. Natasha was on Cap's side near the end. Even though she was technically on yes. Tony, she turned over to Cap's side. It was a whole thing. Yes, but she's playing it cool and she's trying to run things. And, and Cap is there and showing up and being like, are you okay? You know, and whatnot. Because she's playing both sides. Fair, fine. But anyway, it's five years later. But she's in good graces still. And we got Captain Marvel appearance. And we got a couple of Captain Marvel haircuts in this movie, which yeah. I enjoy. <laughs> Very 90s. Yeah. I love that she takes place in the 90s and like the haircut she ends up with is super 90s and 90s. 
not even current, but that's just beside the point. I forgot how effective the very beginning of the film is where like Captain Marvel shows back up and she's like, well, I'm going to go kill Thanos. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, this this chick can kill Thanos. Let's go. Thor is like, he does the thing where the hammer flies by her and he's like, in, I like her. But then they like get on a ship, go go to kill Thanos. And they're like, they kick his ass. And now he does- they kill a him. Huge shot on Captain Marvel, who was the one that they thought was going to take him out. No, but Thor was there. He's like, I'm going for the head. And Thor, yeah, like, and jumps Thor boat cuts and his head does off. it first. And then they're like, this didn't work. Guess well, what? Well, no, I mean, it worked. They killed him, but like. But great. no one came back. Great. I mean, now that's what they, they thought if they killed him, it would reverse, and it didn't. So I don't that's think they why. thought it would reverse. I think they thought they would all feel better. No, I like, don't. They thought it would reverse. And like, they'd be like, if we kill him, everything will be erased or something. We can go back. Cause they were going to no. go back to get the stones. No, that was late. That happened no. afterwards. Listen, <laughs> they went back to see the glove and they saw the glove was all deteriorated when they got to him. Yes. And then that's when Thor was like, ah. Oh no. Okay. Yeah. You're right. The, Again, the do you destroyed. even watch these movies or do you sleep? <laughs> he destroyed the stones. That was the thing. You're right. Yes. And they ended up killing him and they're like, great. Now what? <sighs> Seriously. Settle down. You're, you're two Aperol spritzes deep. Relax. Three. <laughs> Three Aperol spritzes deep. Um, but yeah, it's really good. And of course, you know, the scene, let's just skip ahead because there's a bunch of stuff that happens. I, I think Natasha shouldn't have died. I'm going to just go to that when they're all reclaiming the stones. I think that was kind of a cop but, out there. But the whole thing is somebody has to give their life to get the soul stone. Now, here's the thing. You're not dead. You're in the soul stone. Okay. Anyway, so I don't think she's, she's dead. dead. They've made it pretty clear. Um, anyway, I just feel like it was like she was leading up. I, I mean, in the sense of a redemption arc, I get it. But I also feel like, really? Over Hawkeye? Hmm. But It wasn't over Hawkeye. She was saving the universe. Yeah, Hawkeye could have <laughs> I mean, died to save the universe too. But no, why would kill off him? I guess he's so she important when he can just shoot an arrow. She's a hero that died to save the universe. Anyhow, but um, I thought it was really, again, effective once at the very end when just Cap and Tony and all those guys are just spent and Thanos has just come and kicked all their ass again. And when the portals start opening and you hear Sam on oh, your yeah. left, that throwback to that Captain America movie oh, where yeah. they're running and he's like on your left. It's just perfect. I mean, just the reaction to our audience. And if you've seen on the internet, the action, you know, the reaction to like people that saw it live. Okay, well, we're just sitting and we're rewatching. So. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying, you <laughs> still, still get works. that. It's, it's still, still totally like, works. I mean, I, in my head, I can hear everyone still screaming. Yeah. And like, you know, especially when like Black Panther, like he's the first one to walk out, that crew. And then when Peter Parker comes again and epic fight, epic showdown. I love the, the, the stupid van from Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah. They're like, what else can we use? I got something, <laughs> you know. Okay, I, how did you feel about badass, uh, uh, I can't say, Gwen, uh, what's her name? Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow Gwyneth Paltrow showing up how'd you feel about that her in the armor you know because you hated it when she tried to get badass and I did Um, you hated it you're like whatever go because that was stupid (laughs) and she was in a brawl the whole time Um, this I didn't mind as much I thought they they didn't give her a lot of attention and a lot to do so I'm fine with it I wish they would have like highlighted Valkyrie a little more because I feel like Valkyrie is like a kick-ass character that yeah. we should have seen more yeah, kicking like ass of. Yeah, we got of. a glimpse of her, really. But that's yeah, not like on the horse, on the unicorn or whatever she was on. Um, horse. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand why they had to have Pepper Potts there, obviously, because Tony and whatever. Sure. But sure. Um, it all go, again, though, all leads back to stupid fucking Wanda. You have this amazing power. Do more. <laughs> I totally agree. No, what that, that's, the hell? That's always been my problem with Wanda. It's like, if you have this character on the Avengers that can that has this level of power and can do this, why do they ever lose a fight? No, Bucky and a raccoon are stronger than Wanda right. in this fight. Why would you ever <laughs> Those two lose a fight can't do shit. if Wanda <laughs> is there? It doesn't make sense. Ugh. So, yeah, um, I thought it was great. I thought, you know, I, 
I knew someone had to die. I figured it was either me, Cap, or Tony. It makes sense for Tony, the original one, to go yeah. out. He did his job. He knew. And my favorite, one of my most favorite scenes, though, is with Tony and he, uh, earlier when they're fighting and Doctor Strange comes back and he's like, is this it? And he's like, I can't tell you. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, at that very last scene before Tony goes to Thanos again, before Thanos can re-snap, and he looks at Doctor Strange and Doctor Strange puts up the one finger, that scene to me is Perfect. Totally. And I love it. It's probably my favorite scene in Infinity. And Tony in knows Endgame. in that moment, and like, Tony this knows is going to kill me. This is what I have to do. Yeah. And to me, that's like wonderful. And I, I just got chills thinking of it. It I, was great. That, that's my favorite scene in that movie. And it's perfect. I think Tony's send off was great. Um, I'm not a big fan of like after death monologue bullshit, but the hologram was fitting for Tony. It was awesome. It was completely awesome. Yeah, and seeing everyone there. And they they let it breathe in the end and you got like a good goodbye. Yeah, it was great. And it wasn't, didn't linger too long on it. And you saw everyone there and it kind of sets it up. I thought Captain Marvel looked super badass standing by herself in that power suit with her 90s hair. Uh, Thor goes back into space with the Guardians. I love that. He goes with them. I think that's a great setup for whatever's going to come. I just, I loved, I love Cap not coming back. I didn't have a problem with that ending. No, perfect. Because I mean, technically Cap did exist and Captain America up to this point did. Yeah, but he's Cap, done the job. He did the job and now he got to go back and enjoy his life with my favorite Peggy Carter. Well, as far as we know, yeah. Yes. Oh yeah, I mean, I agree. Yes. Yeah, I think so too. Let's not I look too so much too. into it. It obviously is what happened. So yeah, and it was great. I thought, you know, there was really good moments in it. Uh, I kind of was not a fan of how they did Natasha. I don't, whatever with Gamora, I'm, you know. <laughs> I'm fine with Gamora. <laughs> I don't have like one yes or no against her. I think Nebula is more interesting. Gamora, than- like she's Gamora's sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like Nebula much better. I think Nebula is more interesting and has probably the best character arc. I do too. Um, I, through yeah. the series. And so I'm glad she got And like, I really like Nebula and Tony's like relationship was great. Yeah. They're like I agree. flipping, you know, the football. But I think Nebula with the Guardians is great too, especially with and the record. Like, I always like to go again. Yeah. <laughs> so I just think, I think it was a perfect wrap up. Mm-hmm. to all the characters we loved. Totally. And I think it'll be really interesting to see how they continue, which led us into Spider-Man Homecoming. Now, not Homecoming, Far From Home. Far From Home. Because we just actually watched this movie like yeah. two months ago, not knowing we were going to do this rewatch. So we watched this one quite a bit too. Didn't bother me at all. I was no, perfectly happy to watch it Because again. watching it again, I turned to you and I said, I think Mysterio is my second favorite villain. He's great. Jake Gyllenhaal is so is fantastic. Great. He's so good. In fact, I think Jake Gyllenhaal is my favorite part of that movie, and besides love, Zendaya. My favorite part <laughs> of the movie was after the end of Infinity War, we were all like, or Endgame, mm-hmm. we were all like, how the hell are they just going to be like, all right, go back to normal, everybody's back, everything's oh, cool. Oh, the introduction. And they, they, no, Spider-Man like, handled it perfectly with a really like, cheeseball high school like news video where- They like, laid it out like yeah, five years Betty's ago. Betty's explaining everything that happened. <laughs> and the other, the black kid, I can't remember his name, is just like, screwed up, man. It's just, yeah. what, what does it even mean? I love like just the visual. Like, is there yeah. a plan? Are there Avengers? What are the aliens come back? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's like, <laughs> But it's so good because they just lay it out. Like five years ago, this happened. So now yeah. some of us are the same age, but not Brad. Brad was 12. Now Brad's 17 and yeah. hot. You know, like, and the basketball team is playing and all of a sudden the band yeah, like, comes back on. It doesn't make any sense. And she's like, it's math. <laughs> yeah. So they do a great job. And, and like, it's like you've yeah. got the angry fan online that was like, well, it doesn't make any sense because whatever. This kid is playing that while she's just like, shut up, watch the movie. Yeah. Like it happens. <laughs> and also they kind of explain it. Like you come back the same age. This is what happens. Yeah. You were lost in this weird space thing. And Mysterio is 
so okay. good. The that way- speech when he after he gets the glasses. The whole time <laughs> we were watching that film, the first time in the theaters, I was like, I don't like this. I don't like this. Mysterio is a bad guy, and I don't like this. I don't like where he they're was going with some this. Terrible guy. And then it turns out it's like, yeah, it, it, this whole story, the interdimensional stuff. Made it up. That was my favorite part. Made when he's up. like yelling at all the people in the yeah, bar, telling like, him good job. Coming up with the flying suit, you <laughs> kick ass. And he's like, and Steve, who came up with the ridiculous story that there's a parallel Earth. Apparently, that's what it, like, from, it's okay now. Shit is just weird enough that people believe it. And it's like that was genius. <laughs> like yeah, and it's so good. And then they cut back to him working with Tony Stark <laughs> with barf. With yeah, barf. <laughs> it's like you name my life's work. Barf. <laughs> yeah, but I love because I feel like you take someone like Jake Gyllenhaal and he's up there like my life work was named Barf and yeah. he's like intercontinent, you know, and you totally buy it. Yeah, you completely. I buy, buy it. Jake Gyllenhaal is this like asshole kind of guy, and he's so just, yeah. brilliant with what he does. Like when we get to when we get to the very end, you know, and the, the big fight scene and everything. This is one where they really just they took a step back and they had one bad guy, and yeah. they just sort of followed Peter as he dealt. With this situation where he's like, before, I want to be a hero. I want to be a hero. I want to be a hero. And now, now he's like, I want to be a neighbor like, Spider-Man. I saw how scary the universe is. I saw how terrifying it is. And people and are my like, friend died. And people Tony are like, Stark are died. you yeah. the head Avenger now? Mm-hmm. No, because where is everybody? Everybody's gone. You're an Avenger though, right? And he's like, uh. <laughs> I just want to stay in my neighborhood and be a kid. Right. I like this girl. And you've I got go on Nick my trip. Fury calling him and he's like, uh. <laughs> now, <laughs> this though is the one at the very, very end, end credits. We find out it's not Nick Fury and. And uh, Maria Hill. It's, yes. It's the Captain Marvel right. uh, alien couple. Nick Fury's in space. Yeah, Nick Fury's on vacation in space. But and that's, there's also us. like some questions there. But we, I mean, we don't have to get into that now. Yeah. But, but anyway. yeah, wonderful. Just yeah. wonderful. It's so good start to finish. I love it. I love when they, again, I love that they focus on the kids a lot and let them do stupid kid stuff. I mean, the whole premise is like, Peter's like, I want to tell Mary Jane I love right. her. And Ned and Betty. Oh my God. Yeah, like together. But it's like so perfectly yes. and, high school. And it's like Peter's plan was, I'm going to sit by uh, yeah. MJ on the plane we'll and, and we're we'll going to fall in love. And Ned's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever yeah. heard. And he ends up sitting by Betty and they just like totally fall in love. But then they break <laughs> up and they're cool about it. And Peter's and just like, that's all I want. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But that, that's <laughs> the perfect thing about keeping these characters is they keep them so high school. Yeah. Like dumb shit like that. Or yeah. like, oh no, someone's going to text Mary Jane or I want to share next to him. Like, why is he looking at her? Like, they're laughing at movies. Like, right. it's so grounded in what a 16 year old would and do. And like good looking Brad. My only problem, my only complaint with uh, Far From Home was they didn't bring back the little African, <laughs> the little African exchange student kid. I loved him. Well, there could have been many reasons. So One, bad. he probably maybe didn't blip. <laughs> yeah, well, I, maybe he didn't. I don't know. <laughs> but no, it's good. I loved it. I love it. And I love how in this one they really play up how hot May is too. Like yeah. they started that in the first one a little bit, but now like Happy's really into her and stuff yeah. too. And he's like, oh. Peter's super uncomfortable yeah. with it. Yeah. And he, it probably, I think for you, it had the best end credit scene because even watching it again this time when uh, J. Jonah Jameson comes on. Oh my God. Even at home, you started clapping and laughing and like, yes. And I was it's, like, it's, you know, it's just us, right? Just no so one knows. <laughs> and it works so perfectly. And then they introduced the like, Peter what a callback Spider-Man though. Spider-Man is Peter Parker. And he's like, oh, but like end. to get him from the original Tobey Maguire oh, ones. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's a pretty sweet end credit if you're going by end credits. So, but that like is our Marvel we Marvel rewatch. Whew. 
A little too much Prosecco. A little tongue twister. And if not, who can call a Do you have a favorite? Of, if, like, if you had to pick one of those, I know you kind of said you think Thor Ragnarok's your favorite. Yeah, just I think I've watched Ragnarok the most, and every time I watch it, I just thoroughly enjoy it. I, I love. Kyle. The Winter Soldier, Captain America Winter Soldier as well. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, it's Winter Soldier so very well constructed good. movie and the action scenes are mm-hmm. incredible and the acting is fantastic. And that was the first time that I think we like the Russo brothers really showed what they can do. Okay. And, and man, I still love the movie, but I think Ragnarok is probably still my favorite. So and, I I, and honestly, mm-hmm. at the end of all of this, I think Thor has the best character arc of I think Nebula any does. Avenger. I think Nebula has the best character arc. But we don't get as no- enough Nebula. Yeah, we, I, mean, I think you do. She has a good arc, but I mean... I would say besides Nebula, yeah, Thor would probably as man, well. I he, think they tried to do that with Natasha, like Cap is and Cap I think they the whole fell time. short. Iron Man, you know, Tony is Tony the whole time. Right. Doctor Strange is Doctor Strange. Thor fully realizes, like, look, I am not the kick-ass glowing god that I think I am, but I'm going to continue to carry myself that way because I don't know what else to do. (laughs) No, I I would agree. I think Thor does too. I think they tried to do that with Natasha and killing her. Like even the fat Thor thing, people are like, they're shaming. They're shaming fat people. Give me a break. I I thought it was wonderful to see Thor like humanized, defeated. Yeah. Just like, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> and I don't think they were making him eat. They were just making him drink a lot. So I think it was more like Thor was an alcohol. Thor kind of took on the Valkyrie thing because Valkyrie was always drunk in the first one. Yeah. And I feel like that was kind of a switch. I mean, they just took him out of his like godlike body, but he still was like kick ass yeah. and still could do all the shit when he like just got out of his funk. No, I think Ragnarok favorite movie. And I think Thor okay. has the best character arc. I think Nebula has the best character arc followed by Thor and then probably Black Widow because that's what they were trying to do. I think they didn't do it successfully. I think we didn't get enough. I think they didn't do it successfully. Okay, so my, I don't have a favorite movie, but I have a top five. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a number one. No, I can't decide because it switches. We're also almost 40 minutes That's deep okay. here. <laughs> so. It is Captain Marvel. Okay. Black Panther. All right. Winter Soldier. Ant-Man and the Wasp and Ragnarok. I have like a variety. So you just picked Ragnarok as your number one. No, I didn't. I didn't say in Well, order. that wasn't a countdown. That was just five movies. That was five. Okay. And then Guardians sometimes like goes in depending on my mood. Okay. <laughs> Depending on your movie. Yeah. Guardians and Thor Ragnarok are interchangeable. So now that we've watched all of the Marvel movies in chronological order. I know. I'm so sad. We have nothing to do. We (laughs) need to watch something else. And I thought we should watch all the Fast and Furious in chronological order. Fine with that. Totally (laughs) fine with that. Because that would be the dumbest shit ever. And I'm so into it. 100% down (laughs) and totally fine. That's our next project. Fast and Furious. We can start tonight. Oh, I love the first one. Oof, the first one is really... not good. The first one's the best. The first the first two are pretty sleepy. The, the th- first one is good. I've never seen Tokyo Drift. Tokyo Drift. Well, we got to watch them in Crown Life. I know. So I've never seen it. Oh, we skipped ahead to like Hobbs and Shaw. Tokyo that kind Drift of bullshit. is pretty goddamn good. It's, it is pretty good. And now when, we're totally changing the subject here. So we got to yeah, focus. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> it here. All right. So we had a lot of fun uh, watching the Marvel movies in chronological order, and we decided this should not end. And we talked about what do we do next? And I said, we could leave it up to the nerds. We could let them pick. And she said, let's do the Fast and Furious movies. And I said, that's super fun, but I don't know how much that benefits our you know, comic book theme. So instead, we've decided we're going to do a complete rewatch of the X-Men movies. <laughs> And this will be a Patreon exclusive that we'll be posting. But for the next few weekends here, Casey and I are going to watch a movie and immediately 
come to the office and record exactly how we feel about said X-Men movie. And I have a feeling they don't hold up like they think they do. <laughs> so Maybe it should be fun. The first couple. Mm, yeah, yeah. We'll see. We shall see. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 575, and next week, anything could happen when we talk about our top five favorite clones! Oh, man. We, we sort of spoiled this one last week. We got all excited. I know, but we got so pumped to talk about clones. I can't fucking wait. <laughs> I have already made my list. Joe Patrick, until such time, can you please give these nerds a new question of the week? Gladly. This week's question was submitted by Phil Lee via the THN forums. Which one fictional group or character would you drop into the Marvel or DC universes? For instance, would you put the Archie gang in Smallville? Growing mm. up with a young Clark Kent? Mm, perhaps Buffy Summers and the Scoobies in the 616 proper? I think I put the Archie gang in the crossed universe. Let's we'll see how they do. <laughs> Maybe the entire cast of My Hero Academia bursts into the DC universe. <laughs> that would cause some problems. I am, by the way, neck deep in My Hero Academia. I am on, like, season four. I fucking love that show. It's great. <laughs> uh, now, we are kind of getting to that time where I could use some more question of the week suggestions. So please hit us up on the forums, email them to me, post them on Facebook, hit me up on Twitter. You know how to do it. You may have also noticed that we're posting other questions on our Facebook and Twitter. So call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answer to twoheadednerd at gmail.com we will guaranteed make you internet famous it's true please do try to keep it under two and a half minutes we gotta share the air with the other nerds out there and you got a bonus you know, question right now we wanna know your favorite superhero death favorite Rise superhero death yeah, you know what favorite comic book death why does it have to be a hero what if it's Gwen okay Stinks? yeah could be a villain fair yeah. enough sure alright if you're new to the show and you'd rather blow up your own quiver of arrows on your back than listen to another second, I assure you, it's only because you have not heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive, twitternerd.com. We talk about it all the goddamn time. But hosting this many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Bo Conroy, who sounds like Bo Conroy could be a, like a like a trucker with a mean right hook, you know? <laughs> a member of Team America. Ooh, quite possibly. Like Not it. like the puppets. I mean, like Team America, the motorcycle guys. Right, right, right. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the three young Bolivian brothers that recently tried to get Spider-Man powers by prodding an actual Black Widow spider to bite each of them. <sighs> like, COVID-19 isn't enough for you assholes? This is what you gotta do? Really? Word to you, boys. <laughs> and the only reason I bring it up is because it sounds like they're okay. They rushed into the hospital. But... We will definitely be monitoring uh, Telemundo closely for any news of superpower shenanigans. Jesus. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer might just send a box full of poisonous spiders to your house. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. P.S. That is not how Spider-Man got his powers. The spider was radioactive, you morons! <laughs>